This is a time of transformation. As old ways fall, men are called to rise, to heal our lives, grow strong, and transcend our limitations. In tribes around the world, drawing on the best of masculinity from all of time, a new day is beginning. This is the Renaissance of men. You are the Renaissance. So I am often asked the question, and you may be asked this question or asking yourself this question, why are smart people that I know falling for such obvious bullshit? So I've done a post on my Twitter, my Gab, and my Telegram, just crystallizing my thoughts on that question. It's a question I've asked myself, and I hope this helps. So number one, these are the factors that I think are involved in why so-called smart people are falling for such obvious lies and misinformation. Number one, spiritual blindness. Number two, laziness. It actually takes work to garner the facts and find out and discover the truth. Number three, social pressure. The fear of being ostracized from the tribe. Number four, naivety regarding the nature and prevalence of criminality, corruption, and evil in the world. That one is crucial. Number five, many people believe they are smart due to an ability to memorize information given to them by people they consider authorities. So, quote, smart doesn't automatically equate to intelligence or good life choices that actually correspond to the facts of reality. Six, a paralyzing fear, which equals a lack of courage, because the only time you're in a paralyzed state of fear as opposed to a rational fear. If you're in a paralyzing state of fear where you can't think, then you're in a position where you lack courage, which of course equals the need for constant external direction, which of course there are many government agencies and organizations and individuals in the world who prey on this fact. So, quote, smart alone loses to the power of fear. You can't just be smart. You must also have courage. Number seven, the media is more powerful in regards to narrative creation, narrative control, and narrative management, even amongst the so-called smart people. This is more than anyone can possibly believe with their logical mind. See all of the (laughs) Operation Mockingbird, the history of many of the different experiments done by various intelligence agencies, and an entire history, thousands of years, of the knowledge of human psychology and mass psychology that is possessed by the world elites. Number eight, narcissistic arrogance. This is a big one. Smart people know they are smart, and they often falsely believe that's all there is to it. It can turn into an unrealistic assessment of themselves. The true source of this 
is repressed trauma, which, when left unexamined, will inflate the ego. So I gave eight reasons there. Let me know if you have any other reasons why smart people can believe such obvious bullshit. Leave that in the comments. And then I have a few quotes to sort of crystallize what I was thinking about there. Of course, my favorite one that I've cited many times this year from William Pitt that says, Necessity is the plea for every infringement of human freedom. It is the argument of tyrants, and it is the creed of slaves. Hello, my name is Will Spencer, and you're listening to the Renaissance of Men podcast. Long before Dr. Jordan Peterson, I grew up with some simple rules for life. For example, practice kindness to strangers, respect your elders, work hard without expectations, and finally, and most importantly, question everything. As I got older, I found that the more I heard that last rule for life, the less the world seemed to mean it. For example, my teachers didn't like it when I questioned their instructions. Bosses didn't either. Friends would roll their eyes when I'd talk ideas rather than events or gossip. And while I was living in San Francisco, it was expected that I'd question religion, but questioning the questioning signaled that I was dumb or unevolved. Year by year, the circle of acceptable questioning continued to shrink from everything to quite a bit less than that but that doesn't mean I quit asking. After 9-11, I questioned what Saddam Hussein in Iraq had to do with the World Trade Center. I was called unpatriotic. In 2012, when I joined Occupy Wall Street, I questioned why no big bankers went to jail for the financial crisis. The media mocked me and many others for that. In 2020, I questioned whether PCR tests were the appropriate tool to diagnose a viral infection when their Nobel Prize-winning inventor Kerry Mullis said they weren't. And then I was accused of killing grandma, too. And that's when I, like many others, fully grasped that questioning everything wasn't a rule for life or even a guideline. Rather, it was a risk. Which is why I have such admiration for my guest this week. His name is David Whitehead, and he's a martial arts instructor in multiple disciplines, dojo owner, podcaster, researcher, TV personality, husband, father, and dedicated questioner of everything including those things that are dangerous to question. He's built his life and a universe of content around these questions and the often troubling answers he's found. In our conversation, we discussed his background in martial arts and how being a warrior in the dojo inspires his warriorship everywhere else in life, the vital difference between grappling and striking, the advantages of each and which he prefers today, the nature of global criminal enterprises what they want, and what they seem to believe about individuality and the human race, the asymmetric warfare being waged against humanity, and how it shows up today in what he calls the cult of the medics, and finally, how looking for a group to blame about the state of the world is a fruitless exercise, because ultimately, the responsibility falls to us. Unlike most who question the nature of politics, government, organized religion, and global industry, David has moved past the emotional impact of what he's discovered and taken the essential step that many don't into action. And to that point, it's not David's questions or even the answers that move me to invite him on my podcast. It's what he does with them. He's made himself smarter, stronger, fitter, and more capable. And in so doing, showed that truth, the real truth, doesn't make us weaker. It makes us better. 
once again in life, we can be victims or warriors. So it gives me great pleasure to introduce this week's guest on the Renaissance of Men podcast, the truth warrior, David Whitehead. Hey, David, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast today. Hey, pleasure to be here, Will. Thanks for having me. This is going to be fun. Yeah, I agree. And I've been looking forward to this for a long time. And you know, through our mutual friend, Bernard, when I was exposed to your work, it's like, oh man, I definitely got to talk to this guy. And then when we connected last week, I was surprised that you'd heard of my podcast as well. So that was a really nice surprise. Yeah, I'm new to your podcast, but I think your podcast is is rather new as we spoke. And congratulations on that. You, you've built the, looks like a good audience of people that are curious about a lot of these different subjects. Um, I've been working on my public work for probably about 18 years now. Um, <laughs> wow. I've been doing this for a while <laughs> yeah. and I've kind of, I've kind of stayed a little bit hidden, a little bit underground in a way. Um, I've just experienced a whole boatload of censorship over the past year and, um, you know, had some shadow banning stuff and yeah. weird stuff going on before that. But that's to be expected when you work in the, in the world that I do. Yeah. You know, when you start asking questions, this is the part that's so frustrating about today is I always thought, and I know that I know that there's no logic behind it, but I always thought we grew up in a, a rational question driven question, everything kind of culture. It's like question everything. No, not like that. And that seems to be the <laughs> message lately. Yeah. Well, that's, that's what my number one, I guess you could call it battle is with is I'm not asking for any of my listeners or people that come to my show or any of the stuff that I do to just agree with me. Um, I, I love the fact that I have a very unique view of things and I've earned that and gained that over many years of being very serious about researching and introspecting and conversing and learning from many different viewpoints to sort of formulate my own personal view of things. But the main fight is to have the ability in a so-called free and open society to express one's views, um, even if they go against the status quo. I think if you look back, the most brilliant minds we've ever learned from throughout history, the, the people that changed the world, they were the rebels of their day. They were mm -hmm. the mavericks. They were yeah. the people that challenged the status quo. I mean, you can think of like Galileo or Giordano Bruno or Wilhelm Reich or Tesla or any of these. You could, in every mm -hmm. field, there's these, these people that they, they don't, they're not just these, you know, average everyday people. They, they are very, um, very serious individuals who have a lot of very challenging arguments for what we would call mainstream academia, the mainstream orthodoxy, I guess, if you go back to yeah. the, the church fathers and all that, and then compare that to where we are now with the new church of the day, which is, uh, was something I've been calling the cult of the medics and the, and the media mm -hmm. and this government apparatus, big tech, these monopolies that are trying to dominate the space of ideas. And I feel like that's very dangerous if we want to maintain the ability to have a free society. I completely agree. And I think many of the men who listen to my podcast can see exactly what you're saying and see how it also applies to masculinity about how mm -hmm. there's been a concerted effort to kind of frame masculinity in a certain way um, politically for, since at least the 1960s or 70s. And so as, as many of the men that I'm familiar with and many of the, the authors and the bloggers and the creators that I know are, are seeking to sort of reframe masculinity in a more of a classic timeless direction, 
the amount of pushback that arrives as a result of that single topic alone should be very familiar to to any man who listens to me. And so the parallels between you know the world that I come from, and of course I've also studied quite a bit in some of the subjects that you're you're well versed in, not to the degree that you are, of course, but you know to see that the, these these two worlds that we're talking about, there's so much overlap. There's so much overlap between things you're not allowed to question in uh, the cult of the medics, which that's a great term, and and, and scientism and all of that. And also around what we might call gender and masculinity, that mm. actually what a lot of men are beginning to discover, and this is what I discovered, is these are all part of the same fields, but they've kind of been purposefully separated from each other. That you've got the guys over here asking questions about masculinity, and you've got the guys over on the other side asking about asking questions about the popular narrative. But it's all the same. It's all the same field of questioning, which is why I was really excited to talk to you because I think that's what men are beginning to discover. Is this is the same area of forbidden topics that are all kind of bursting into the light. Really good points. And I actually love that your show is about rekindling the spirit of true masculinity um, and framing it properly uh, yeah. for men and also for women. Yep. And this is, I think that actually the work that we do in trying to forge new ground and challenge status quo and look outside the box and be proactive in the pursuit for truth and knowledge and understanding um, that is a masculine act. If you mm -hmm. look at the masculine as a principle, right? Like in the ancient times, they would symbolize it in many different ways. You of course have the famous yin and yang symbol that you would find in like Taoism, martial arts, uh, et cetera, which I, I come from that background mm -hmm. as well. You have the anima animas concept from Jung. You have, uh, the chalice and the blade mm -hmm. symbolism. So the blade would have been the masculine. Um, and all these these beautiful principles that our ancient forefathers and ancestors, uh, or, or forefathers, I guess, would be the progenitors of our culture. They were very well versed in it. And in fact, the, the underpinning of what we call Western civilization, which was a striving for freedom and independence, that spirit of freedom and independence is a masculine uh, spirit uh, underlying it. And that, that would go for both the masculinity within women as well as men. It's mm -hmm. just that these terms are now blurred with gender identity pronouns how do you identify these kinds of things but that to me is just it's 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 more dividing divisive than it is unifying and uh it, you talk to the average man today and many feel even though they want to be a man they want to be masculine they feel emasculated they mm -hmm. feel like they're the whipping post of all society's ills is all just men and this is, this is very, very destructive. And yeah. uh, so that's why I started to look even deeper behind the veil to say, well, is this just some kind of coincidence? Is this an accident? Is this a natural progression of, um, you know, social discourse or something? Or is there actually something more nefarious behind this to purposely weaken uh, the society and weaken the men of society if, there, if, let's say, there are some of these controlling factors that in play that want to change the course of civilization to suit their ends, it would make sense that they would first have to weaken the male principle, the masculine principle, so that they don't have any resistance mm -hmm. and they don't have any competition on the grand chessboard. Mm -hmm. I agree. And what's the image that's coming to mind right now is, so you've been studying these, these areas of, uh, we might call esoteric, uh, esoteric 
uh, esoteric events. Let's put it that way, because there's a there's a there's a word that starts with C that I'm avoiding that, that I want to get to later. And I, you know, and I, sure. I you know, because there's all different ways to address that, and I think that's a nut that's pretty cu- tough to crack. But you're investigating the deeper truths behind what we might call current events and culture. And so right. you've been on your path, digging in, digging deep into the ground, and you've sort of arrived at this point of like, wait a minute, what if this all is all undermining masculinity on your sort of 18 year journey? And then on the other side, there was the world that. Uh, many men come from where they've been digging deeply into masculinity and they get all the way to the bottom. It's like, well, what if everything in the culture is a lie as well? And so what's really exciting to me about this conversation and why I wanted to connect with you, if we've both dug deep underground with our pickaxes and we're just, and we get to this wall, it's like, wait a minute, it sounds like there's someone on the other side of that wall and you kind of break through. It's like, oh my God, what are you doing here? And so that was kind of, that was the feeling when I, that was really the feeling when I started, when I encountered your content, because I was like, wait a minute, he's talking about all this stuff. And so I went immediately to your Twitter profile to see, does he follow any of the same guys that I do? It's like, no, he doesn't follow any of the same guys I do. It's like, oh, we've got a lot to share with each other, which is really <laughs> exciting because I got so many guys that are beginning to discover the stuff that you are so well versed in. And because you have this martial arts background and because you have you have the, the integrity and the language and the family and the structure, it's like, okay, this is a guy that a lot of men can go to to listen to who embodies the things that he's learned about reality, which is hugely exciting for me. Well, this is exciting for me too, Will. Like I'm, I'm really happy we connected and I have a feeling that there's a lot of things that we could, uh, we could work on, uh, together and share for sure. And definitely I need some more good people to follow on Twitter because Twitter is starting <laughs> to annoy the hell out of me these yeah. days. And, oh, yeah. uh, I need to find some real men out there to, to vibe with and share with and, and even debate in a, in a civil way, because this is, see, I, the martial arts was such a pinnacle for me. This is how I, I actually got started was um, as a young kid, probably age of eight or nine years old, I had, you know, I was a small guy. I was quiet um, and I loved, you know, I had lots of friends and stuff, but obviously as a little kid, you don't have that level of confidence that you wish you had. And I, I found that I was seeking that, that, that strong masculine principle. And I remember going up to a, an event that was in my town. I grew up in Yorkton, Saskatchewan. Mm. And there was a, a martial arts demonstration there. It was just some karate guys that were doing demos and, and they didn't look like big, large, strong, muscular people, but they exuded such strength and power and confidence. And just, it, it was just so amazing to me. It, I've never forgotten that. And then, you know, of course you start watching like the Ninja Turtles and <laughs> all the Van Damme movies and Steven yeah. Seagal and stuff. And you go, wow, like I just resonated with the idea of the good guy, the hero, the warrior, the guy that stands up. Um, and so I remember begging my parents, I'm like, you know, I I really want to join karate. And they were like, oh, it's violent. You're going to get hurt. You know, maybe do something else, do some soccer or whatever. And so I, but I'm a stubborn guy. Mm -hmm. So I went to the library and I started looking, uh, in the sports and history section and found all the books of like Gichin Funakashi and Bruce Lee and, uh, Miyamoto Musashi and just like the brilliant writings about the philosophy of martial arts and warriorship. And when I think now, as we're having this conversation, I think that what's really inherent in the martial arts is a really good balance between the masculine and feminine principle. Yeah. Um, but, but, but with an extra emphasis for me, being a man, on the masculine traits that I was ad- aspiring to have in myself. And so I, uh, I, I learned, I, I read everything Bruce Lee wrote. I tried to get my hands on it. I just loved the vibe of it. And, um, and I, and then I spent my whole life martial arts was my vocation, I guess. And I grew up, I achieved multiple degrees in various disciplines. I I've managed dojos. I've owned my own dojo for 
probably 13, 14 years uh, that wow. sadly got shut down at the beginning of 2020. Hmm. Um, God, so and sorry. so then I went to, oh no, hey, and I'm not the only one. Yeah. And, and I said, okay, well now I'm going to take this battle, this warrior principle um, out of the physical and I'm going to bring it to the philosophical realm. And that's what truth warrior is, is mm. it's a combination of not that I know the truth or I'm the one that has the truth. It's a quest. It's that's the goal. The goal is the truth. Because in martial arts, if you lie to yourself and you assume you're something you're not, you're defeated easily. Mm -hmm. And so I knew how valuable that, that principle just on a philosophical basis of the truth was. And so I went, okay, but in order to have the truth and seek the truth, you're going to need the spine of a warrior behind mm -hmm. you to, to, to go through that journey because it's hard. It's not easy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's not easy to find these things in your life. And so um, I learned those lessons. I think that's what gives me that, that backbone um, is that I you know, went through the blood, sweat and tears. I went through the trials by combat. I went through all that stuff. And, um, and then I started digging into comparative religion, mythology, geopolitics, uh, history, esoteric studies, uh, conspiracy, whatever you want to call it. Just looking at um, different, different shades of things. And then kind of formulating my own perspective on it, which is always evolving. So what I invite my listeners to do is to just join me on the quest of seeking the truth, whether you agree with me on everything or every point I make. I hope you don't. I hope you don't just sit there and just take everything I'm saying on face value. The whole point is to encourage the process of participating in your own education. Mm. Uh, you can give yourself the education of a lifetime. And you can take your mind into your own hands and you can create yourself uh, in an expressive way and then actualize your potential through this venture. Uh, this is not something that's given to you by the world. It's not something that uh, is a one, 12 step program that's easily understood. It's something that is uniquely created by you as you participate in it. And so that's really the, the underlying goal of it. And that's a little bit about what brought me to this place that I'm at now. Mm. So you mentioned martial arts, which ones specifically? And I don't know if I didn't catch the ones that, was it jujitsu or was it uh, MMA or boxing or all of the above? I, I kind of did. I started off with karate, Shotokan karate. Mm -hmm. uh, grew up doing that. And I really was grateful for that because it really gave me a very strong emphasis on being very technical in how I approach things. Mm -hmm. um, and then I went into boxing and ninjutsu and I had to go to a boxing club on like Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, and then go to ninjutsu Monday, Wednesday. Mm. And, um, and then I went into Japanese jujitsu and kickboxing trained under Jean-Yves Theriot, um, Bill Gatchel, Steve Lorette, those guys in, in Ottawa, um, for many years. And then, uh, started doing a lot of Brazilian jujitsu, um, you know, and then I'm the kind of guy, I have an, I have an eclectic approach to stuff. I really like to delve in a lot of areas. So I've trained a lot of different styles, a little bit of Sambo, uh, work with uh, people like, you know, George St. Pierre, Mark Bocek, things like that mm. in, in Canada and just kind of mixing things up. And it seems like martial arts went from being all these different styles to, well, now it's just mixed martial arts, uh, in a lot of places. And I kind of liked that because that was, again, Bruce Lee being the one that sort of got my mindset into the arts. He was always like, there's no such thing as style. Styles separate us. So you create your own vehicle of expression and learn from everybody. And I was like, that's what I'm going to do. So as I've gone through the different arts, again, I've pieced it together and created my own, my own sort of um, expression of it. And, uh, and then I encourage my students to do the same. I, I really kind of shun the idea that 
I want all the, or some students of a, of a master should be the same as them. I, I feel like the whole point is to encourage people to create their own masterpiece of expression through these arts. Mm, and so is that what you've done, fusing these together as, a, as both an instructor? Well, your dojo is closed, but I imagine you probably still do some instruction, but also as a practitioner? Yes, yes, absolutely. It was like I would call the class like, okay, this is our striking class. You can call it kickboxing, whatever, but you're going to get a mix of like I've done Muay Thai, karate, you know, you know I mix it up. And then, um, and then uh, my other class was jujitsu. But again, jujitsu, it just means gentle way. Mm -hmm. It's not actually that gentle. It just means uh, it's the way of going with your opponent, not against them and uh, using strategy to defeat, uh, you know, an opponent that is stronger than you. So I would call it jujitsu and kickboxing, but when people would come, they would go, oh, this is unique. Like even people that came from those disciplines, they would see that I would, I could address a lot of different elements and weave it together. And I'm really happy to see a lot of martial artists that are going down this track. I think uh, as organizations like the UFC have, uh, and martial art, MMA has evolved, people see, oh, you need to be good at a lot of different things. And, um, and I just think that makes it more fun, you know, so that way it's not so one dimensional. So can you kind of paint a picture? Cause martial arts is something that many of my listeners are very into. I have some who, some who compete at, uh, at amateur and semi-professional levels and, and some who are quite experienced practitioners, for example, in Brazilian, uh, Brazilian jujitsu. And so I wonder if you could just kind of paint a picture for some of the men listening of, of the styles that you most like to integrate. I'm new to combat sports. So I started boxing and July, it was something that I really wanted to do because obviously uh, there were the lockdowns here. And and so mm -hmm. finally, when the lockdowns first, because I, I moved back to the United States and uh, from, I was living in New Zealand in most of 2019. And I moved back to the, uh, the United States in early 2020, just before the lockdowns hit. And so I had been wanting to get into boxing, and but then that was kind of pushed out. So I started that in July and I really, really enjoyed that. And then one of the most popular, probably the most popular martial art in this world of men is Brazilian jiu-jitsu. So I was like, well, I should probably see what's going on there. So I started that like two or three weeks ago and I just had the class. Good for you. Thank you. Yeah. Well, I just had the class last week where I finally got it. Like I got to roll with like a purple belt and I just, it was a woman too. And I just got to watch her just absolutely watch the mind, watch the way her <laughs> mind worked yeah. as she was, as she was grappling with me. So it's like, all the other guys I've been uh, rolling with were white belts. And so it's just like, it's just barely controlled chaos. But to mm. actually roll with a purple belt who is strategic, and she says you've been doing it for five or six years, I got to watch her move slowly and sort of take me apart. I'm, I'm yeah. completely unashamed of that. It's just like, you know what? Like I, I was up against a superior opponent who just knew how to use my own body against me. So it's like, right. oh, I get it now. Okay, now I see what the, what the appeal is. Like you say, the gentle way, like there wasn't any... Uh, violence to it, I guess you might say, like in striking, it was just a very slow, almost glacial kind of approach punctuated by moments of really rapid movement. Uh, and so I, that was when it all clicked into place for me. But beyond those two, you know, six or so months of boxing, or I guess like six or eight months, and less than a month of jujitsu, I don't have a good sense of how all the martial arts weave together. And I've only watched a couple MMA fights, uh, a couple UFC fights. So I wonder if you could paint a picture of the sort of styles that you roll together, so to speak, to create, you know, your own particular approach. Oh, wow. And by the way, that was really articulate the way you broke down the, the, the process. It's so true. Um, you know, martial arts, the, the issue that I found in martial arts, because I trained in so many different schools, like even when I would go try, I, I was uh, living in Ottawa and I would, my work required me to travel a little bit. 
anywhere I would go on a work trip, I would find the local boxing gym mm-hmm. or the local jujitsu gym or I don't Kung Fu center. I don't care anything close to me. And I would go and just do trial classes there just to try to learn different perspectives. And I've learned so many amazing things from some really, really incredible martial artists. And I found that it's kind of like religion in a way where everybody gets very hyper-focused on this is the one way, this is the only Mm -hmm. way, this is the best way, jujitsu is the best way, kickbox. And it's like, well, what if all of these are just puzzle pieces that you as an artist can put together in Mm -hmm. your own sort of fashion and create something that works for you? Like there's different body types, right? There's different mind people, they just think differently. Um, some guys naturally, like me, I was a natural striker mm. that came just instinctually. That was where I excelled the most throughout the vast majority of my training. And it was later, it was like the latter end of my journey that I started really picking up the grappling arts. I had trained them, but I didn't, I guess I was always like, no, you stay on your feet, you know? And then, um, and then I really embraced the wrestling and jujitsu and ground game. And I, now I, I, now I'm 39, so I don't quite have the same pep as I used to still feel like I'm in great shape, but, um, I feel like the jujitsu is, is more of a, for me, a mental spiritual thing that I just mm. really enjoy where you're not always like, you know, elbowing someone in the head, you know, trying to like, it's super violent where you're punching each other. Although I do advise anybody training jujitsu, you have to roll with, with at least soft, soft punching opponents so that you can realize that, you know, you're training for self-defense and make sure you don't put yourself in too many compromising positions. Mm. But, but the art, so I would say this, the way I look at it, um, so Japanese jujitsu, I know there's a lot of Brazilian jujitsu that scoff instantly because they've seen a lot of bad Japanese jujitsu practitioners, but that, you know, never forget the origins of the art where, where the Gracies actually learned it from and how it's evolved since then. And so in Japanese jujitsu, it was a combat field art. So the idea was you look, you work with Kabuto first. Um, if we were living in the medieval period where martial arts really had its heyday, uh, we would first be, you know, doing sword work, bow work, staff work, horse work, um, you know, working with infantry, things like that. So you'd be doing a lot of weapon training. So I really, I, I have a feeling like my past life was in the medieval period or something because I've always <laughs> loved like the knights and the battlefields and like, I just love that stuff. I live for it. And so for me, uh, spinning a bow staff or a sword or work, you know, nunchucks, whatever. I love that stuff. Knife fighting. And I feel like that is, I mean, think about it. Any human being should be able to pick up a stick off the ground and defend themselves with it, whether it be against a wild animal or a human being or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so I thought, okay, so first range of combat is weapons. It's, it's, you have a, you have a weapon that you can use to fend off an opponent. Um, and then the next, when, when you're disarmed, that's where the striking element and the, the standing clinch work comes into play. If you're dealing with multiple opponents, which you should probably not mess with anyways, but if we're just talking <laughs> theoretically yeah. here, you, you definitely want to have uh, the ability to create range with striking, footwork, um, leveraging, you know, so many cool things. But that, that, that would traditionally be the next range is the, stri- the long range of striking, which I feel like arts like karate and boxing, um, they really work to keep your opponent at range. But then the range gets a little bit closer into mm-hmm. the clinch range where this is the world of Muay Thai mm-hmm. and wrestling and Greco-Roman wrestling and, and, and grappling. And then it's the takedowns of, of wrestling and judo that start to come in. And even a lot of the sweeps you'll see in Muay Thai uh, to take your opponent to the ground. And then when you're on the ground in, in the Japanese system, we used to just, you know, 
escape a position, hit the guy, take them to the ground and knock them out. Um, whereas in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, it's get past all the strikes, clinch, take them down, spinal control, positional control, submission. And, uh, and then it was like, okay, if you put those two elements together, you have a really vicious game. You have mm-hmm. a really good game. And, um, so uh, the, that's how I see it. I, I see it. Um, you, you should, if you want to be a well-rounded martial artist, you should have knowledge of, um, things like even just weapon disarms. We would do a lot of school drills on that, how to disarm somebody holding weapons, um, how to deal with different weapons just to get that dexterity and awareness. And then you should have the next range of striking from all the different ranges. Um, and then how to get past the strikes into a control position where you're in nice and close, like in jujitsu, and then to bring them to the ground, almost like what you see in the wild, you know, you see, a uh, a, a cheetah or a, a tiger or a lion, they, they take their prey to the ground and then they bite their neck and they, they finish it on the ground. It's very similar in jujitsu. So you take them down where you can uh, take away a lot of that force that they could generate and you put them in a compromised position where most people aren't familiar with. And then you systematically, as you said, dismantle them and, uh, it with, with a strategic, um, plan of how to, you know, basically separate their limbs from their core and then isolate the limbs and then finish the fight. And the one thing I like about jujitsu, I would say is that it, um, it, it gives the option for mercy mm-hmm. where you're not just like, you don't have, if someone's just <laughs> pushing you around on the bar, you don't have to like elbow them to death yeah. or break their neck. You can, you can, you see those videos. I think there was a good one of Matt, Sarah, just in a, in a restaurant and some drunk guy comes up and he, he just kind of takes him down, sits on the mountain, holds his wrists. I mean, to me that's, and he doesn't have to hurt him. He's just, He's just stopping this drunk guy who's lost his mind for a minute, attacking Matt Sarah. And um, I just feel like that, to me, the martial artist, it's the Sun Tzu thing, art of war, where you learn to win without fighting. And it's the highest achievement. Um, and I, I feel like another thing I should plug in here is what I've noticed, and maybe a lot of martial artists listening to this might feel the same, is that the longer I've trained martial arts, the less actual fights I've been in. Uh, so in the beginning of my career, it was like I was fighting all the time. There's always, because you want to prove yourself, you're young, you're like, someone's talking to you, you're like, okay, well, I'm going to do something about it. Something changes later on where when you're constantly sparring with elite martial artists, you're like, well, I'd rather just go spar with them because they're my brothers and sisters. They're people that we're going to push each other hard, uh, but we're not, we don't have any animosity against each other. You know, we might have some competitiveness with each other, but we don't want to like kill each other. So some guy on the street, it takes away that urge for you to always have to prove yourself and stand up and be the macho or whatever. To me, that's not really masculinity. I mean, standing up for yourself is, I mean, if someone's pushing you around, but just kind of like almost like energetically, you can, you can call it into yourself. And I remember being in that vibe where I would feel like, why, why am I always in these scuffles? And then the, the better I got at training and the more I started understanding the principles behind the arts, the less fights I got into. Mm-hmm. And now I'm in a position where um, I've talked down more people in a fighting scenario or whatever than I've ever had to employ any skill. And so I think that's the goal. And then when I feel like I want a good smack, a good uh, scrap, I go call my buddy who I know is going to give me a good test. And we, we just play, we do karate in the garage <laughs> Yeah, exactly, <laughs> or whatever. So, yeah. Well, I really like what you said. I hadn't actually thought of this through, but you, you highlight a great point, which is that you know, in jujitsu, there is the, there is the submission, like you can tap, 
you know, yeah. but there's no tapping in the boxing ring. Like, okay, no, I'm done. You know what I mean? Like that doesn't happen. Like you're either getting knocked out or, or, or TKO'd, you know, and there's no, there's no submission. But I, I guess that's a really important point about jujitsu is there is a point where, where one of the men can say, yes, I have been bested and still, yeah. and still do so with honor. And I hadn't actually thought about that before because that creates such a different feeling. I really like striking. I really just love, uh, love getting in the ring. And then I was trying to figure out what is the quality that I'm feeling when I'm doing jujitsu that feels very different from boxing. There's still the warrior spirit of honor, but there's mm-hmm. a different, there's something different. There's something deeper about it, I think in a way, because, because it's like one of the, one of the men is saying to the other, I'm not actually like, I don't have to kill you essentially, right? Like I will, right. I will accept honorably if you surrender but that doesn't exist in the striking arts and the striking arts, like you're not allowed to surrender. Oh, that's, I'm gonna have to think about that a lot. That's really cool. Yeah. That, that's what I think I love about it. And I'm like you too. I'm a fire sign. I'm an Aries and I it's just my personality. I love uh, the, I love the fire, the combat, the pressure, get hit, hit back. I like it. You know, I, I love the boxing stuff. Although these days, you know, as I'm getting a little up there, I go, I, I think I'll just take this guy down and do it easily. Um, <laughs> it, it's just easier. It, and because, you know, even in a real fight, you might be one of the best strikers on the planet, but if they blindside you, anybody has a puncher's chance. Um, whereas in jujitsu, yeah. And, and in the clinch game, those different styles, you, you take people to a place that they're not really ready for very quickly. You find these safe, <laughs> safe spaces. Uh, these are the real safe spaces, real you know, safe getting spaces, the yeah. clinches, you know, and, and I feel like it, um, it's also a really good art for, even if I remember when my buddies would kind of, when I started saying, oh, I'm doing boxing and karate, they'd all want to like challenge me in the basement and stuff. And then you have to like, everybody's leaving with bloody noses and stuff. And whereas when jujitsu, when people want to mess with you, I'll be like, okay, you can do whatever you want. I don't care if you strike, pull out a knife. Well, please don't pull out a knife, but I don't care what you do. <laughs> yes, please. Um, I'm going to beat you without hurting you. Yeah. And that to me is the challenge where they're like, what? And then you do it. And then they're like, oh, and there was literally nothing I could do. It, mm-hmm. it, like I've had grown men come in that are like, oh, I've been a street fighter for whatever. And, and then we get into a little bit of uh, sparring. And I'll tell them, even though it's a grappling class, I'll be like, I don't care if you throw strikes at me. Come on, go for it. Mm-hmm. And, and it, it just, you know, you duck under, you take their back, you put them on the ground. They can't breathe. They're gasping, they're panicking. And then you're sinking in a choke and you're like, that's the, and it's just, it's something about it that is, um, it, you can teach the ego better for your students with jujitsu than the boxing because the, bo- the boxing keeps that fire of, of, of like, you got to hit the guy in order to win. Whereas this is, I don't know, there's just, as you said, is there's a different vibe to it. Um, so I like, I like being aware of both, but uh, personally these days I've been much more into the wrestling jujitsu component. Mm-hmm. And then even with that, trying to find what's the easiest way to do this without expending too much energy. What's the most efficient way? I think that's, that's really what martial arts should be about in general is what's the most efficient way to achieve victory without expending energy, without expending too much ammunition in the process, um, and allowing your opponent to seal their own fate by what they're doing to you. And there's a karmic thing to that that says, Mm -hmm. I didn't initiate the use of force against you. You initiated force against me. And all I did was take that force and put it back into you, which means you defeated yourself. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's a lot more, it's a better moral place uh, for the martial artist who you know, it, you're a trained assassin, man. You don't want to be abusing the powers that you have. And I constantly talk to this about with the teens that I would train, the, the kids. 
Um, and I think that's so valuable for them. And it actually kind of, for me, turns into a rites of passage thing that if you bring it back to the masculinity component is missing today in our culture. Whereas past cultures, if you look at warrior cultures, samurai, Spartan, Greco-Roman, whatever, it, there was always a rite of passage that happened for uh, both men and women. And, but for the warrior class, you had to go through the underworld journey. You had to come up as the hero. You, there was an encouragement of your brothers around you to uh, survive the trials so that you were baptized by fire and now you are one of us warriors. I think there's something for men that is missing there. And if you look at the rates of depression and suicide, mm -hmm. specifically amongst men these days, it starts to ask the question, is there, are there, are there some of these ingredients that we're missing in, in our rush to be this advanced scientific society uh, that we've lost on the way that we should be reviving? And I guess that's what called me to really resurrect the warrior tradition again, even in the field. And I think that's what makes me stand out in my field of research is in the, in the shows that I do is that I put that martial art philosophy and warrior philosophy at the backbone of everything so that it's, it's, it's about that going through the cycle of uh, these initiations that build your confidence as a man, as a woman. You, you gain so much from that. And, and if you are a man walking around without confidence and self-knowledge and awareness, um, then you are emasculated and you will be one of those guys that just needs direction all the time and needs someone to tell them what to do and you can't make up your own mind. Um, I think that uh, if we can rebuild that again, then we can save our civilization. Man, I love everything that you said. And we're we're on the cusp, just right on the cliff edge of so many, so many topics just to go diving into just just right here. And and I think the one that's coming up for me right now is in this world of men that I'm in, there's uh there's a, a phrase that goes around, it's post-physique. And post-physique means if we're uh if we, you and I are in an argument online about some some principle, you know, some idea, whether it be political or otherwise. At any point in the dialogue, one of the men can say to the other, post a picture of yourself shirtless in the chat so I can see who you are. And the idea is that if you can't be trusted to take care of your own body, to be in some reasonable form of shape, like obviously you don't have to look like Arnold or Brad Pitt or something like that. But if you're overweight, if you're out of shape, if you're skinny fat, then you're immediately wrong. Because how could you be right about anything if you're not right about how to care for your own body, right? So and the other side of that is that what it means, what it, what it signifies and what it symbolizes to me and what I think it symbolizes to many men is something actually deeper. And that's, do you embody your own principles? So you say mm. that you're about something. How does it show up in your body? How does it show up in how you care for yourself? Are, do you have integrity? Are you a man of integrity? You know, do you reflect on your, your philosophy about life, the universe and everything, let's say, and does that translate into your activity in terms of your physical activity and your diet? Because you got to get those fundamentally right. So what's really important about that is it shows very quickly who's real about what they believe and who isn't. And that's why this discussion about martial arts is so important because it demonstrates that you are actually about what you say you're about. And, right. and, and that's so crucial in this world of men as we been, begin to rediscover masculinity that it's past the point, and I've been tweeting about this lately, it's past the point where we can be anonymous commenters on a Reddit forum or something like that. It's like, no, we actually have to stand up and stand in the sunlight for who we are with our, with, you know, with our shirts off potentially, but definitely with our faces as well uh, to say like, this is who I am and this is what I believe 
and I live it. And I don't just live it theoretically. Like I live it in practice and I put it, I bake it into my life every single day. And so I think it's really important for us to get into this, even though there are so many heady esoteric topics out there that I'm really interested to discuss with you because I'm, I'm fascinated about your knowledge. I'm also equally fascinated, if not more so, the way that this is translated into living your life as a real physical warrior. Because, you know, we've all heard warrior, like Apollo Coelho wrote this book, Warrior of the Way of Light or something like that. And that's a really nice uh, sort of like high-minded kind of concept. But I think what's happening now in this world of men is we're recognizing that it's not enough to be high-minded about things. You have to be, for lack of a better word, low-minded as well about it, which is to say like down to the down to earth about it. And what could be more down to earth than what you do with your body, with how the way you move it and what you feed it and how you take care of it. And these two things are fusing together. And that's what men really need to see other men doing who are approaching high-minded topics. It's like, it's not enough to simply to simply be like a, like an, an Eckhart Tolle or something like that. Or I can think of, well, I can think of many esoteric, you know, researchers and all different, you know, who are, who are thin and wiry and they're clearly very smart about the things that they know and they're very well informed, but you look at them, it's like, you know, if I, if I sneeze at you, you'll fall over, you know? And so, and so that's what, that's what I found was so unique when I, when I found your writing, I was like, wait a minute, this guy actually, he lives through what he believes. It's not enough to just study these these aspects and recognize, oh, it has to turn me into a warrior for truth. It's like, no, I have to turn into a warrior for truth, you know, and not just, and not just the truth part. And so that's what I think is really cool about what you're saying is that, you know, you've fused these two things together in a way that I have trouble thinking of, of, of any other men who quite have, because a lot of men come in to discovering masculinity and then they begin pursuing martial arts as an extension of that. You went the other way, which is, I can't think of anyone quite like that. Yeah, well, I mean, you're making some great points about uh, what a, there's a lot of problem in this very, um, like I said, this this academic type of typology of people out there that are the ones coaching the world and, and telling the world what we should be doing and advising, uh, you know, the ship of state. And you go, uh, yeah, are, do you even have your basic somatic intelligence under control? Mm-hmm. You know, the, the, the body uh, the, you go to people like Wilhelm Reich, who, who talked about psychology through the body body of like in this new age community and in the religious community, it's all about denying the body and hating the body. And then you actually look at what happened in our culture that's become so materialistic. It's all superficial and inauthentic. You can only be authentic if it's coming from the inside out, not the outside in. And so if you start with the body and I tell people, like people that are like, oh, I'm out of shape. I don't know what to do. How do I start? I, I don't even know where to begin. I just say, start with stretching and breathing. If you start there, just basics, 15 minutes a day, just be conscious of breathing. There's good, you know, you can do all this Qigong or whatever, but the, the thing is, is um, just learning how to be aware of breath. Breath is your life, mm-hmm. right? Obviously, if you stop breathing, you're dead. So focus on your breath and and let it speak to you. If your breath is choppy, short, uh, you're not even filling up your lungs because you're full of anxiety. Um, you might want to address that anxiety. And and some people are like, well, so what do I do? Do I just go see a shrink? Well, maybe. But my thing is, no. How about you start moving your body? How about you get into, uh, you know, thinking of the psychology that you need to work on through the expression of movement as opposed to just sitting there thinking of your way out of everything. And I, I think I did that naturally. Um, I went through a pretty rough up, upbringing. And not my parents were amazing, but just a lot of circumstances made it pretty crazy. And I had a lot of, uh, I had a lot of angst to deal with as a kid. 
And I think what appealed to me about the martial arts was it gave me a place to vent. It gave me a place mm-hmm. to express that. And so for me, it was, it was at that time, it was karate and piano. And I would just use those two things as my therapy, I guess you could say. And um, I've used it for that to this day. Is, and, and then the heady stuff came later, the thinking, the intellect, which is also important. But if those worlds are out of balance, then you can, you can lose yourself in a, in a very weird way and you can get drawn into a lot of inauthentic expressions that aren't really going to serve you. So I'm with you on that. And, and this also happened in martial arts, by the way, Will, where a lot of guys, you got these big fat, uh, you know, like masters are walking around with like 17 black belts on and they're calling the shots and maybe they were in shape once upon a time, but you go, look, I can't idle. I can't look up to you. Mm-hmm. Like you, you have to be able to practice what you preach. Um, and so, and there, cause there was no way for people to test it. They're like, oh, well we've got the uh, five uh, finger heart exploding technique. So uh, we can't spar because <laughs> yeah. we'll kill you. And it's like, really? I don't know. I think <laughs> sure, you're full yeah. of shit. Yeah, exactly. So what I loved about the, uh, the, the way martial arts has evolved to this day and in, in both MMA and jujitsu, um, you can't just walk around and say you're this or you're that. Uh, people are going to want to learn with you and they're going to want to train with you and spar with you and feel you out. And you actually get to know each other that way. And you find the strengths and weaknesses in each other. And it's honest. And it's not about belts. I, I, I freaking hate belts. Mm. You know, I've achieved a lot of black belts in my life, but I still live like a white belt. I still mm. live like I want to learn from this experience. And I'm never afraid to get in there and 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 test myself. Um, and it's just there's something about that that is missing. Like, look at the world we live in right now where you're online, you put out an opinion about something and you're just overwhelmed by all these people who have all this time on their hands to come and attack your position Mm -hmm. and then leave. Like it's hit and runs and trolling. And you're like, you would never do that to me if we were standing face to face. Mm -hmm. You would never do it. And I think that's what it does. It gives this, this online world, there's, there's benefits to it. But one of the cons for me in terms of a healthy psychology is that everybody gets to be a sniper. Everybody gets to pretend they're something they're not. And it encourages an inauthentic mode of being that I think is contributing to this sort of narcissistic culture we're in. Whereas in the old days or in the circles that I run in, we speak to each other face to face. We, uh, we work together. We have conversations, not verbally, but physically while we're sparring with each other. There's a dialogue that's happening there, there where there's no room for bullshit. There's no room for you to go, oh, I'll just put this theory on the whiteboard and everybody's going to have to believe it because it was super impressive with all the graphs and diagrams. It's like, okay, but does it actually work? Prove it to me right now. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's, that sends a chill up every person's spine that doesn't have masculinity because they're like, oh, wait, they caught me on my bullshit. Mm-hmm. And in martial arts, there's no room for that. And that's why I like it. And that's why I like that that spirit keeps me in check. I mean, I'm not, I'm not perfect. I've made mistakes. I've talked about things that I've later found out not to be true. But I come out and I'm honest about it and I keep, we're all learning. And if you look at it as not failures, not mistakes, but just learning and you're just raw and authentic and honest about it. I mean, can you imagine we had politicians like this and, and people at the, at the helms of, the, of, of all the institutions that were that, they had that built into them? Can you imagine we taught the warrior principles in school and empowered young children with these ideas and these modes of expression? You know, rugby's great, soccer's great, baseball, but martial arts is you against you. There's no team you can fall back on. And it's, it's this individual expression. And I think in this, one of the biggest, um, one of the biggest, I think, uh, agendas, whether it's purposeful or just a, a byproduct, 
is the erasure of the individual. And so for me, the martial arts is the best art to bring that spirit back to say, I'm an individual. I have a unique expression. I'm honest. I'm working on myself and I'm not just part of the Borg. I'm not just like everybody else. Um, and I, I go by that old model that says, you know, you were born an original, don't die a copy of somebody else. Mm -hmm. And that spoke volumes to me. And so I guess that's what I've always tried to do is keep forging that path where I'm constantly challenging myself to be honest. You know, before I go on a show, I, I, I say three times in my head, speak freely, mm. speak freely, speak freely, meaning don't speak for others. Don't speak to impress people. Don't speak uh, to uh, placate all the trolls in your chat. Don't speak to, speak to the truth you wanted to share today. Speak to the, you know, and when I did that over and over again, it just rinsed out that, um, that, that fear of what people think that, um, you know, and, and it just helped me become more organic. And I think that my work has been getting better and better over time. And I, I remember that feeling as I went through the martial arts. You know, I, I pick up on, on that, we'll call it increasing authenticity in the things that you put out there, because I think we, we are also saturated with content. Now we can listen to whatever or read whatever or watch whatever, like it's all out there. And so, uh, I think we develop a sense for what we like. And for those of us that have, I guess you might say, uh, a broader perspective or a more open mind or a more open heart or some quality of receptivity, uh, I think that over time what develops is a sense of what is the most true. And maybe everyone has this to some degree, although probably the legions of Katy Perry fans would disagree with me, but <laughs> or maybe you can look at that and that would, that would belie my claim. But, you know, for those of us who, who, who aren't huge Katy Perry fans and, and the like, and, and I think you begin to get a sense of like, what is, what is, who out there is true? And it's, it's always a moving line because there are many content creators I follow where I get super into their content. And then for some reason I get less interested. It's like, okay, that's, that's enough. Maybe they haven't continued on that growth journey, but then there are others that seem to just kind of, and it can be whatever. Like I first experienced it in the music world when I would find a band that I really liked and they would mm. just like find that spot of authenticity and they would be able to ride that spot for however long. Like I think the band that comes to mind that was able to ride it for the longest was Radiohead through all their different, you know, iterations of themselves that all these different experimental sounds that they tried on all had the ring of authenticity versus some bands that come out with a great first album or even a great second album and then kind of fall off because they don't really know who they are anymore. But right. in the content creation world, it seems like it almost works the other direction where you start out and you don't really know who you are or what you're about. And I can say this is, this is true for me. Like I started doing this podcast and I thought I was going to go one direction, but as I've developed it over time, it's, I've become more clear about what I actually want it to be and have discovered myself along the way. And I think my, my voice in a very, I guess you might say in a conceptual sense, but also in a, in a very practical sense has kind of opened up. And so when I see that in other content creators in different ways, it's like, yes, that person has tapped onto something and maybe I don't know what it is and maybe they don't know what it is, but they're riding this wave of authenticity comes close to describing it, but not really sure what else. It's not truth. It's not authenticity, but it's not, not those things. It includes all those things. And that's what I've that's what I've picked up from your work, especially lately, is you've really landed in in something, whether it be, I don't know, like a perspective or an attitude or an approach or a posture or something like that. It's really, really coming through. And it's really exciting to see because, you know, when a creator gets there, the whole world opens up. 
And in a sense, that's when you begin building bridges to other people who are like, hey, what's going on over there? It's like a music festival. It's like you see all the people running towards, you know, towards something. It's like, oh, something's happened over on that stage. So everyone goes running over to the stage to see this band like elevating, you know, when music festivals used to happen. And so I feel like in this world of con, in this world of, of content creation in the, in the most neutral sense, that that's happening in these really exciting ways and people can flock to where the, the truth begins to be expressed, you might say. Yeah, that's that's a really good point. And um, as you said in your journey of trying to find out, you know, what am I? What kind of content am I going to be creating? Um, you find yourself uh, that resonates so much with me. It, all I ever did when I first started, uh, I did a video a long time ago on my YouTube channel that recently got permanently banned. Mm-hmm. Um, I came. I just had this wake up experience that you know things were not as we thought they were, mm-hmm. and we're, there's we're we need to wake up to a lot of these different things. And I, I just had this like very raw, authentic, serious, just video log that kind of went viral back, back in the day. I can't even remember the date. And, and then I had all these people contact me, well, are you going to do more videos? And I was like, am I going to do more videos? I don't know. And so then I thought, well, I've always been interested in all these books. I've got such, I haunt used bookstores and rare bookstores, <laughs> man. And I, I got all these books and I love these authors. Let's see which ones are still alive and if they'll have conversations. And, um, and then I started just calling them up on Skype, just like we are now, and just recording conversations and putting them up on my channel. And many of them got pretty popular. Some of them didn't go very far. Just depends, I guess. And then I got a couple of radio show gigs and, and then, um, Eventually, I decided I didn't want to be told what I should be covering and what guests I should be having. So I just kind of went back to, you know, I'm just going to do, I don't care if it's not getting the hundreds of thousands of views. I'm just going to be true to myself and I'm just going to keep doing my own content without any interference. And then I uh, did some television work, uh, did a lot of stuff for History Channel and whatnot. And it was fun, but I kind of went, well, again, I go sit down and do a four or five hour interview and they clip it up, which is natural. And I knew mm-hmm. that was what was going to happen. But what I loved about podcasting was that I could just speak without constantly being interrupted and edited and told, you know, how I should be framing things. And then when I would have a guest on, I would have an opportunity to just have this amazing conversation and learn so much from them as well. And that built me even more. And and so whether I'm on someone else's podcast or someone's on my podcast or I'm going through that, you know, intense research and and meditation and thinking, okay, what am I going to cover uh, I, I, I've learned so much about who I am mm-hmm. and I, I kind of tell my listeners sometimes I'm like, I really love that you all are here for the show. I'm grateful for every listener. I want you to also know that this is part of my own shadow work, my own inner work. Um, and it's an interim report that's constantly evolving as I evolve and my perspectives evolve. So you will see me change on certain opinions over time naturally as you would see me in a martial art dojo, changing the way I set up a roundhouse kick or changing the way I set up that triangle choke. Um, You're going to see me evolve because I'm a creative person and I'm looking for the truth. And it doesn't mean I'll get it. It just means I'm on the path. And the only way I know to be on the path of seeking the truth is to be honest. And so I, I constantly come back to that. And I'm glad you brought it up because I think a lot of content creators are just looking for what's the newest clickbait? What's the newest headlines? What's the newest way that I can get another 50,000 follows? What's the new way, you know, and I, you, people should focus on those things to help. I want you to be successful and I want to be successful, but not at the sacrifice of being authentic and true to yourself. Mm -hmm. And that was a commitment I made. 
Um, even I could go and start a new YouTube channel and a new Spotify. I could start it all over, but I've made a commitment to myself to say, no, I've decided not to support those, those platforms right now because it's not based in authenticity. I'm constantly tripping over what I have to say and everything else. I want to be true. Um, and you know, it's like Jordan Peterson says, you know, if you're going to try to learn something and you're going to try to seek the truth, you have to risk being offensive. Mm-hmm. And it's just the way it is. It, it's not in the intention to be that. Right. It's just the way it happens. So um, I went, all right, I'm going to stay on these other platforms. I'm going to keep my circle small and uh, I'm just going to build myself even better. And I like having, I like being the underdog. I like when the chips are stacked against me. I like when the pressure's on because that's where I feel I shine. And, uh, and that's when I'm at my best and that's when I'm the most honest with myself. So I, I really appreciate you bringing that up because that's really important. It's, it's hugely important. The phrase that I've been using to describe people, cause I get a lot of questions from guys who are asking me, well, what, what does it, what, what does it mean to be a man of the Renaissance? You know, because I, I frame the whole notion of the Renaissance of men as this 40 year journey through men's personal development to where we're at right now. And so, you know, in that, I take a lot of stances on the phases of, of personal, of men's personal development that have evolved over the past 40 years and what my commentary on them is. And also in that, I get a lot of men, well, what about these guys that are exploring these sort of racial ideas? You know what I mean? From either side, how do they fit in? And I say, okay, here's how, here's my response to them. And it gets to your point is that there are two things that are most important to me. One is a sense of agency, meaning you know, you can, you are a man of the Renaissance. If you believe that you are not a victim, that you are in control of your life, maybe that you're not necessarily to blame, to blame for everything that's happened in your life, but you have assumed responsibility for them and that you are capable of transcending them. That's what it means to be a man of agency. And I don't care who you are, as long as you don't believe that you're a victim, because there is plenty of victimology going around everywhere right now. It's not just on one side or the other. Like, as, you know, as long as you've discarded that idea and you've become a man of agency, congratulations. Like you can, let's walk together, right? And the other part I've been saying, and that's happening for men and women as well. And so to frame the similarities that I see between men and women, the distinctions that's being drawn as it feels like the world is increasingly dividing is that there are the people of the truth and then there's everybody else. And you're either committed to the truth, whatever the cost to your personal pride, which is always the cost for truth. It's like, it's, it's, it's not so much that the truth has a cost in terms of the way you live your life in some material cost, although it can, it's what really prevents people from pursuing truth is they're afraid of being wrong. And the fear yeah. of being, the fear of being wrong is pride. And if you've ever read any CS Lewis, he talks a lot about Christianity in his book, mere Christianity. He says, pride is the chief sin. Pride is mm. the chief sin. That's, that is the one fatal sin from which all the other ones come from. And so I look at that and I say, look, you've got to be willing to pursue truth at all costs, including to your own pride. And if you're willing to do that, we'll end up walking together because that's how, and I don't say this as a point of personal pride in, in the way that it might sound, but that's the way that I've kind of always been because there's nothing that's more valuable to me than the truth. And I've had to shed several skins very painfully to get there, but ultimately like it gets easier, like, oh shit, well, I was wrong about that. Throw that away and let's just keep walking versus at the yeah. very start of things. It was like, oh my God, I'm so wrong about everything. I'm the worst person in history. It's like over time that softens. It's like, okay, well, I didn't need that idea anyway. Let's just keep walking. And it sounds like you've gone through something similar. And I think that's what's being asked of all of us right now is to throw away the lies that we believe about the world externally, but most importantly, the lies that we've internalized, especially as men, 
and women also separately, but but because we're two men talking, the lies that we believe about ourselves as what it means to be a man, what masculinity is, what manhood is, what femininity is, we have to throw those away and and, uh, and create space to uh, for for ourselves to evolve into something perhaps new and old at the same time. And that seems to be the real dividing line is how many men are willing to be to allow themselves to discard their lies in favor of the truth. And you know immediately when you spot someone who's like that, you know, they, they have a curious attitude and they, they have a sense of humility, which is mm-hmm. like, you know, I don't have all the answers, but I'm willing to, as you say, go through the process of personal evolution to continually discover them, even if the answers change. And that's the part that's so difficult for a lot of men uh, and people in general to accept is the truth is also not fixed. You have to move with it. Like there's no moment where you arrive in the capital T truth and the light goes on and your eyes radiate laser beams or something like that. <laughs> the, the line as human evolution is progressing is always moving. And that's why it's like ongoing re-up commitment to the truth. And you know who's following that and who isn't. That's it. Well, and yeah, and the, the idea of the victim, I mean, this, you could go on forever about yeah, this. Yeah. Um, and and it, yeah, I called it the the cult of envy in a way yeah. um, where you have, you have, you know, and, and even that term pride, it, it's, there's two sides to it. Like there's the, the pride of accomplishment right. that you felt from going through that victim, victimhood into true victorhood. And you go, wow, I'm proud of myself. But you never go past that point where you're like, well, now I'm the king shit and I'm untouchable and there's no, yeah, yeah. That, that's the problem, right? So it's amazing how everything has balance to it, isn't it? Like, yeah. and, and, but yeah, sorry, to, I don't want to wander. The victim no, thing wander. is huge. <laughs> the victim thing is, um, is, is big because this is what is being injected into every element of our culture through the pop culture, the media, Hollywood, the education system. It's coming from, look at the world we're in right now. Mm-hmm. We're right now, we're being told to live in fear and to wait for instructions mm-hmm. instead of being proactive and taking your life into your own hands and, you know, being responsible, but not living as a victim waiting to be guided through every step of your life. Um, the, the controlling oligarchy would love nothing more than for you to have to rely on them for everything you have. Mm-hmm. Uh, cause that means they own you. Whereas if you learn that you own yourself, you own your mind, you own your actions, you own your everything. Um, then it takes you, yes, you're, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a frightening experience because now there's risk involved, but isn't that an element of masculinity mm-hmm. risk taking sometimes even risk taking for the sake of risk taking? Like that's, there's, there's something there because we know those of us who do those things, we understand that there's a value attached to that, that we're going to receive at the end of that, that if I survive this risk. I've now upgraded myself. I've learned something about myself and I've empowered myself so that I'm less of a victim than I was before. And it just starts with the little things. But number one, I say to people, uh, there's that old quote, can't remember who said it, but it resonated with me, which was, if you don't control your own mind, someone else will. Mm -hmm. And I took that to heart and I went, no, no, I don't want someone else to, I want people to contribute to my life, but I don't want anybody to own my mind. That my mind is mine you know, and it's, it's my responsibility. So I think that kind of plays back to the envy thing is people, I I made a distinction between jealousy and envy. Like you might be jealous that like, Hey man, you got that nice car or that nice uh, house or that nice life. Uh, I wish I had that. 
But that jealousy is a, is a benign jealousy where you will go, you know what, you've actually inspired me to kind of get off my ass and, and go and achieve something. Um, whereas the envious person wants what, wants what you have and doesn't want you to have it. Mm -hmm. That to me is the distinction is like, it's not enough that maybe you don't have it. They just don't want you to have it because they feel less of a person. It's, it's the whole crab in the bucket thing. You know, you're trying to escape the crabs are pulling you back in the bucket and, and you go, well, the envy that we're seeing is very much rooted in, in what's going on. I mean, look what's going on with these universities and coming out of the, these students that are coming out of there with, you know, everything is about, oh, it's about what happened 300 years ago and I'm still oppressed and, and, uh, there's all these classes and, uh, the men and men, this is patriarchy that's oppressing women and, and stopping them from getting the wages they deserve and always attacking them. And men are the predators and all this. And it's just like, who's teaching you this garbage, yeah. whether you're a man, a woman, whether you're black, white, I don't care what color, what background you're coming from. You're a human being. Yeah. You're a part of this world. You're a part of this cosmos. There's a greater reality that's in front of all of us. You have potential inside of you. It's photonic light. Like you can't just put that into these little categories. And, and the reason they go with it is because it's, uh, it's a way of getting out of the personal responsibility of creating yourself. Mm -hmm. Right. Yep. And that's, what's missing. So I think what's happened is we've lost a lot of the fundamentals. Um, I would argue that this is by design for a greater agenda, yep. but if people don't like that, they can also just look at it as, Oh, it's just a natural thing that occurs over time. Okay. Bad ideas seep into society. I get it. But here we are, no matter way, which way you look at it, what are we going to do? What are you going to do now? Now that you see that the world is trying to turn you into something that you otherwise wouldn't be, what are you going to do? Are you going to let the world mold and shape you? Or are you going to find yourself, um, irregardless of what everybody else is doing, are you going to be the champion for yourself? Are you going to be the victor or the victim? Mm -hmm. Are you going to live with envy or are you going to live with courage? You know, what, what are the principles that you value? I know where I stand and all I can do is encourage people to take a look at these ideas and then assess them. But, um, I, I actually see that if men don't rise up in their own manhood, um, our society is doomed because we need both the male and the, we need both the masculine and the feminine. We need the yin and the yang. We need the anima and the animus. We can't have one without the other. And if we get those thrown into off uh, imbalance or they get swapped or whatever, um, then look what's happening. We, mm -hmm. we have a bunch of docile people that are following orders, waiting for the next order and are giving away that person responsibility to, you know, all these different agencies in our world. And that process is a process of not just emasculating yourself. It's a process of dehumanizing yourself. Because mm -hmm. to me, the, the purpose of being human is to forge and create for yourself and go through the struggle and come out stronger and, um, and have goals and have aspirations, but, but to constantly be orientating yourself towards the next challenge to overcome it. Um, whereas, you know, there's a lot of people that would prefer that we just be docile, you know, farm animals that are easily managed. And I don't know about anybody listening, but that's just not the world I want to live in. <laughs> me neither. Me neither. Well, I, I like, I, I'm, I'm, I'm grappling as, you, as you're discussing this with so many different dualities that have come up during the course of our conversation. And the one that I wanted to go back to is when we were talking about um, online, online living, you were talking about, um, you were talking about how uh, there's this confrontational attitude online. I don't remember the exact words you used, but the thought that came to me at the time was that online living versus offline living, like in person, uh, sort of 
it's kind of online living creates the worst of both the ma- the masculine and the feminine. So the worst of the masculine, if, if we might say, is, um, is sort of an, a, a hostile aggressiveness. You know what I mean? A hostile reactive yeah. aggressiveness, right? And the worst of the feminine is this sort of snarky, uh, you know, verbal assassin like mentality. You know what I mean? Like, right. you know, uh, jumping out of the shadows and hitting really hard and then disappearing. And that's online life. It sort of brings out the worst of both the masculine and the feminine. On the so contrast, on the contrast of that, the best of the masculine is is a sort of dominance hierarchy of competence, as Jordan Peterson so articulately discusses. And in the same way, the best of the feminine is a receptivity to the other, right? So when you right. move into an in-person kind of interaction with your fellow man or fellow man or men and women, you know, there's there's a natural sorting that happens like, oh, that person knows what he's talking about, or that person knows what he's doing, et cetera, where you kind of, we naturally align ourselves into this sort of hierarchy because that's how we're minded, this hierarchy of competence. And in person, there's the possibility of being so much more receptive to what someone is is putting out there. And both the ability to organize into a into a competence hierarchy and the ability to be receptive are absolutely eliminated online. You just, especially like places like Twitter, where it's all about just aggressive attack, 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 and you can't yeah. really ascertain, except for like techniques like post physique, for example, where where who is best at what they're doing. It's like, well, that person just posted the snarkiest, you know, wittiest comment, but does that mean that person? is good at anything or good for anything like no but we lose all this signaling ability to determine our hierarchies and there's no incentive for for thoughtful engagement in fact platforms like twitter disincentivize thoughtful engagement by forcing you to compress your arguments into 280 characters and then even in forums online you know you're still limited in this linear discussion which just kind of becomes this undermining kind of process and so i think part of what we're dealing with is we're being forced forced quote unquote into more and more well no actually really being forced into online living with lockdowns and living in our houses and stuff and that's bringing out the the worst of the masculine and feminine and meanwhile you have these other people who are like you know what i'm kind of over this whole lockdown life so i'm just going to go stand in the sun and do my thing and you can come with me and shriek at me all you want but i'm going to go be a real, a real human again and begin right. to express the best of the masculine and feminine but I, I don't know that people frame it that way but it seems like we can bring those things out in person that we couldn't bring out that online life necessarily makes it impossible to bring out. I got a lot out of that and I appreciate it because it's, um, it's just, it's so spot on. It, it's, we used to sit around the campfires. Yeah. We used to have conversations, even guys, you know, sitting around the pub or, uh, getting together for some cards or whatever. And, um, and then that's what I love about the dojo or the gym where you're, you're, you're there and you're hanging out and then you're challenging each other. Then you're working on stuff. Then you're talking, then you're laughing, then you're, you know, crying or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Like it's, there's a sharing that needs to happen. You know, I speak, I, I know a lot of people here in um, my area that are in the uh, First Nations community and they have the whole sweat lodge thing mm-hmm. where you get together and you you sweat it out. You sweat out the bad thoughts and the you, you talk and you challenge each other and you make each other stronger um, as opposed to like, I'm not against debate. I'm not against people disagreeing, but that again, that that trolling snarky, you know, who can have the one up, the one upmanship, the, the, you can just tell the world is full of people that have zero self-esteem, mm-hmm. zero self-knowledge. And that's why I, I've done a significant amount of my work to bring forward the work of people like Nathaniel Brandon and, and so many others that spoke in a way about that concept of self-esteem that was far different than what you see in the mainstream <clears throat> books of the day, where, 
what I see is the missing element is the authentic version of that. I mean, how can you have self-esteem or self, uh, what would it be? It would be just a self-love. How could you have that if you don't even know what a self is? If you haven't even identified what that is, if you don't even, um, if you haven't even attained it, it's like what Jung spoke of as the process of individuation. Mm -hmm. There's actually a process of individuation. Uh, this isn't the idea that people have in their minds automatically, which is, oh, you're going to become a narcissistic asshole. <laughs> no, it's individuating yourself so that you can find what unique gifts you have to bring for yourself and the world. Uh, whereas if you're just part of the glob of the mass of the Borg, like that, that, that's hell to me. I just, that's not who I am. And, and so, and it doesn't bring a healthy society. That's for damn sure. Because all it takes is one little suggestion from the media and the Borg goes, okay, we'll do that. Yep. You want us to go off the edge of a cliff? Off we go then. It's the mm -hmm. best for like, and you go, no, but the, it's only been, the individuals in history that were individuated, that, that understood what we're talking about, that found their masculinity, that stood up against tyranny, that stood up against evil, that stood up against invading armies. Uh, you think of that uh, sort of um, archetype of, of uh, the Spartans, the 300, you know, the, the battle of the 300, uh, regardless of the historical differences people have on, on that factually. The, the mythos of that idea of, you know, these 300 warriors following Leonidas to the hot gates to defend against millions of these invading armies that want to take them and subjugate them. There's a good, there's a strong image there of the masculine principle that says liberty or death. Uh, I'm standing up for my right to be me, my right to be sovereign, uh, even if it means annihilation, because I'd rather do that than live on my knees as a slave. Uh, that to me speaks volumes to the warrior ethos and also the masculine principle because it was the men who stood up and did that. It was the men that stormed the beaches of Normandy to defend, you know, it was the men who were sent off to die in these wars uh, fighting for what they believed to be true. Um, and yet now here we are, the whipping posts of society and postmodernism and everything else is such a shame and it's such a crime. But then I sit back and I go, well, I don't want to be a victim to that myself. Mm -hmm. So yeah. I don't live with that victim mindset that says, oh, I'm a man. So I, no, I live yep. with, okay, you guys can shoot all the arrows at me at once. What do they say in the, in the 300? He's like, well, I guess we'll have to fight in the shade. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's that, it's that you do what you want. I, I'm doing what I want, regardless if I'm the last person on earth, the last man standing, I'm going to be myself. Uh, whether you strap me to a wall like they did to Solzhenitsyn or whether whatever, it doesn't matter. Uh, I'm going to stand true to myself and be that warrior and be that man, regardless of what the world thinks it's doing and is right or not. That's so right on because so many men get stuck in this idea of the whole world is against, is against us. The, all the engines of culture, all the institutions, you know, all the religions, all the food and the water and the electromagnetic spectrum and, and everything, it's all arrayed against, in some sense, it's, it's arrayed against both the masculine and the feminine in different ways. But as a man, you know, of course, I, I'm, I'm interested in how it's arrayed against me as a man. And it would be really easy for me to fold inside of myself and become a victim to that. And I, a lot of men do a lot of, you know, for particularly around, uh, in, in this world of men's development around dating and romance, you know, there's a whole, uh, the red pill community and men going their own, own way, MGTOW and black pill and stuff like that, which we can all talk about. But, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of this sort of backdoor victim mindset that's look how persecuted I am as a man, 
you know, yeah. and, and there is truth to that. And, you know, Dr. Warren Farrell wrote this book, The Myth of Male Power, which uh, he wrote this, I think, in the 70s or the 80s. And uh, he's an amazing man. And he just wrote a new book called The Boy Crisis, which I'm reading right now. And he lays oh, out, yeah, it's great. Well, he lays out really clearly. It's like, no, no, like what what has always been, he used to be like on the board of the National Organization for Women. So he used to be a leading male feminist. And mm. once he started looking at it, he discovered like, no, no, this whole notion of patriarchy is backwards. Like the society is actually arrayed pretty powerfully against men. It's just that we're focused exclusively on looking at high status men and we ignore low status men. And so, you know, like the garbage men and the and the undersea welders and the and the roofers and the stuff like that, and the men who who you know and the oil drillers who work these truly dangerous jobs, we don't even look at them in our quest for quote unquote equality. And so, you carry that forward to today, where literally all the engines of culture and and government and media are arrayed against masculinity in really unique ways, and and also the family court system as well. And a lot of men just they fold into themselves and they become victims and they become just as dark. As as many of the women that they pro, that they point out, it's like look how you're being a victim. It's like well, no, look how you're being a victim. And so <laughs> it's exactly the victim Olympics. Yeah, yeah. Ex- that's exactly right. It's the inter well, it's the intersectional intersectionality Olympics. It's just that the men aren't allowed to compete. Is how is how it works. Yeah, that's a good one. That's a good one. Yeah. <laughs> so so, but you know what I try to what I try to say for myself and what I try to say as men is to men is yes, all that is true. And you still have to stand up in the sun and you still have to reject all of it. And you have to assume responsibility for as inverted as the world is, as backwards and upside down. And we might, we might say disempowering and as arrayed against you as all the forces of culture are, you still have to stand up as a man and say no. And that's it. And that if you're not willing to land in that place or you can't find a place within your own soul to put your two feet on the ground and push back, you got to find that place because otherwise you'll just wilt. But that's that's what I think is on the other side so beautiful about what we're going through is so many men are actually hearing that call. Many, like hundreds of thousands potentially around the world, maybe even millions are hearing that call and they're standing up and they're pushing back. And, you know, even through all the, and this is what I, this is the Renaissance. This is where the, the Renaissance of men is at right now. And the, what I tell people is the way that I know the Renaissance of men is real and it's not just this uh, this uh, human created phenomenon, is that in 2020, when things got really hard, the Renaissance didn't slow down, it accelerated, it went faster. And you would expect that if it was fake, it would slow down. But because it's real, because it's this response to circumstances that more men than ever have found the need to plant their feet and push back and say no. And once men got there, I realized that tyranny doesn't stand a chance because there are so many men who would like, you know what? I'm going out on my shield, but I'm not living this way. And and I think that's that's where you and I agree is that you've ex- you found that in your own way. You're also a goal. You know, that's what the Spartans used to do. Like you either come back carrying your shield or you come back on your shield or something like that, I think was what they right. used to talk about. And yeah. when I discovered that spirit inside myself, it was, uh, the, the word empowering is so overused, but I don't mean it. I mean it in the sense of like being powered up, like felt this charge of energy through me. It's like, yes, you actually can't stop me if I say no. And, and I always point this out to men. I said, the last word we ever see Neo say, we, that's where we ever see him say in the first Matrix movie, and you probably know this, is no. He stands up and says no and stops the bullet. And that's the last word we see him say. He does voiceover after that. But how powerful that is to be able to stand up and simply say no. And there's something fundamentally masculine about that. And just in the final point about individuality, 
the way individuality has been portrayed to us is this boundarylessness that you're supposed to be everything to everyone and you're supposed to have you're supposed to just dissolve as a being and that's an individual like burning man for example when in fact true individuality is being something which means not being something else and that's the part that's under attack right now and that men are rediscovering Oh, brilliant points there. So important. I hope people are really paying attention. I know I am because mm -hmm. uh, this, first of all, what you said about the victimization uh, of where men, you know, they they try to escape being a victim. They, they're like, oh, victim culture, victim culture. But then they escape to another victim culture. Mm -hmm. um, I'm glad that there's so many more men out there that are ca catching on to this. And um, that's important. And And I think the one thing is the underlying question of freedom. Uh, and this is a big central part of what I try to do. And we also do this on uh, the Unslave podcast that I do as a collaborative project with my colleague, Michael Tessarian, um, where we explore a lot of these subjects and we talk a lot about a concept called the one against the many. Mm. And um, it, it is the process of of being an individ individuated soul that can then uh, benefit the society. It, it's not to say that we're living up in the in the mountains and we're just rejecting all everybody and like we're like monks or something. It's the idea that no, well, it's Pythagoras, right? His great statement where he said, no one is free who has not obtained the empire of himself. Mm. No man is free who cannot command himself. Uh, so what that good. says. So good. Yeah. Oh yeah. Pythagoras. So like the idea here is freedom is at the central base of the human being. Yeah. Uh, if you think of the philosopher Schelling, he, he, he said, he went to the point where he said, freedom is the ground of being. And um, mm. this, it's not a freedom, like maybe what, some of these more anarchistic types would say, or the far left, you know, the Antifa types, that's not, we're not talking the freedom to go and burn and loot and take what you want and just steal. Uh, we're talking about freedom that comes with virtue and morality, right? And so, but you, so what I love about this statement by Pythagoras, you know, no man is free who has not obtained the empire of himself and cannot command himself. He's talking about personal responsibility. Freedom is earned. Mm -hmm. uh, individuation is earned and it's earned by, uh, by going on this journey of finding out who you are, why you're here and where you're going. And then of course we see that all the forces in society, many philosophers and you know, like Ayn Rand and so many others pointed out that there's a movement in our political and social culture to eradicate the individual. Yet the individual was only born recently in history. When you look back in history, it was all tribalism and feudalism and collectivism. Um, and then all the experiments of socialism, communism, fascism, et cetera, that are <laughs> coming back in vogue, which is pretty alarming. Um, it's interesting how there's a trend that happens. And this is what these brilliant minds pointed out, where governments don't just become tyrannical and society doesn't just go hysterical overnight. It's a process of first eliminating the individual through the cultural mm -hmm. shifting that happens. And whether people think, again, that this is a managed, controlled uh, agenda by people who would benefit from a more collectivized society, as I believe, or whether this is a natural progression or of an ebb and flow of nature, it really doesn't matter. Mm. Here we are. Mm -hmm. And we're seeing all the forces of culture trying to erase the individual and erase the past and erase the concept of freedom. I mean, we had all these intellectuals getting up in the mid 2000s all the way to maybe recently talking about how there is no such thing as free will. Mm -hmm. It's all determinism. It's Ugh. all psychological determinism. So terrible. I, 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 yeah. And I'm glad you feel that way because I, I've done many shows on uh, debunking that just on a 
scientific philosophical level for the best I can. Uh, many have done this. This is an age old battle in philosophy, by the way, the, the will or is it will, or is it fate, you know? But, um, I personally believe very strongly in free will, especially coming from the grounded arts of fighting and martial arts and combat, which we were talking about before, where I think a lot of these, uh, these intellectual ideas, they're all just drawn up on chalkboards and they don't really correspond to the facts of reality. And so we need to, if we're in a world that is demanding that we sacrifice our freedom, as I am in Canada sitting here right now, where I'm not even permitted to move around my own province without going through police checkpoints, um, then, then I go or, or speak freely or any of those other things, like it's been a systematic erasure, uh, you go, well, then we need to get back to this philosophical question of free will because they believe the people perpetrating this tyranny, whether they be just your neighbor or whether they be someone in government or big business or whatever, they believe their philosophy is that there is no free will and that man is a robot and an animal that must be controlled and managed mm-hmm. by the superior intellectuals and elites. Mm-hmm. That's their belief system. So all the ideas, that's why they gravitate towards totalitarian systems. That's why they gravitate towards uh, and fund, and you know, these George Soroses of the world, and these people, they fund the the media and the books and the, you, you'd be, in, it's amazing how we think there's all this choice of information when it's the illusion of choice. It's all funded from central places that have a philosophical worldview that free will doesn't exist. There's no God or, or whether you like God or nature, however people like to, there's no higher force. It's just it's just matter and it's just, you know, live until you die. And so humans, they're all animals, you know, we just need to manage them like a farm. Mm-hmm. That mentality um, creates these, uh, this push for these types of systems of collectivism. And this is why I love, you know, people like G. Edward Griffin and many others who just said, okay, there's all these isms, fascism, communism, socialism, capitalism. In the end, the most destructive systems in history are what we would call collectivistic systems. Mm-hmm. And people, they have a knee-jerk reaction to that because like, well, I like being around people and I want to support my community. But like, no, we're not talking about that. We're talking about the erasure of the rights of an individual to pursue their authentic expression as a human being. And instead to adopt a one-size-fits-all ideology, a one-size-fits-all everything. And in that world, freedom dies. It's Mm -hmm. like, you know, it's not getting the sunlight that it needs to grow anything. And so we've lost the wisdom from the, the greatest minds that I think have ever lived that have told us, no, you have free will. Just the debate you're having right now in your mind as to whether or not you believe free will exists or not is an act of free will. Mm -hmm. Right. And then now when you start to understand what freedom really is, and you read these Bruce Lee's and so many other great Pythagoras, so many other people, that would tell you about it. Now, as a man, you go, I am free. I'm free to make up my mind. I'm free to sit on the mic on the couch and just get drunk and be depressed and not do anything and be, and then just, you know, whatever, wait till I'm dead. Or I'm free to get off my ass, be productive, find solutions, go against the grain, express myself, face challenges, make mistakes, become stronger and go out and forge myself into a human being. You know, there's humans and then there's human beings, meaning mm-hmm. they're being human. Mm-hmm. And we've mm-hmm. lost the beingness because we've lost what it is to be free. And that's why when I have my arguments right now, which have been very much centralized on lately on, on combating this ridiculous nonsense of, of these lockdowns and all these policies, is because really I'm struggling to put out the notion again that 
what are you willing to sacrifice here for the illusion of safety? Yeah. It's the illusion of safety, number one. But even if it was some kind of safety, are you willing to give up your selfhood, your freedom, your rights, your individuation? Are you willing to give that up? Because I'll tell you this, show me a point in history where a government came in and took away those rights for the, to give you safety and then after the danger was gone, they just gave it all back to you. Mm -hmm. It just never happened. Nope. And so, and, and the reason is, is because, again, they're operating these types of people who've worked their way up and wormed their way into these positions of power. Um, they are emasculated beings. Mm -hmm. They are the most frightened, controllable, corrupted eyed people because of they've, they've lost those pillars of, of self-esteem and, and, and masculinity, as we said. And yet they feel themselves to be elevated to a high position of authority. And um, as I'm talking about this, I can't help but think of that great treatise by Wilhelm Reich called Listen, Little Man. And if you'll permit me, I have a quick little yeah, uh, go, go for quote it. from it. It's so powerful. This changed my life, this one. He said, this is Wilhelm Reich. And he, he writes this almost like a father talking to a son about how to be a man. Okay. Mm -hmm. And he says, you are different from the really great man in only one thing. The great man at one time also was a very little man, but he developed one important ability. He learned to see where his, he was small in his thinking and his actions. Under the pressure of some great task, this is the heroism concept, which was dear to him, he learned better and better to sense the threat that came from his smallness and his pettiness. The great man then knows when and in which way he is a little man. The little man does not know that he is little, and he is afraid of knowing it. He covers up his smallness and his narrowness with illusions of strength and greatness, of others' strength and greatness. He is proud of his great generals, but not proud of himself. He admires the thought which he did not have and not the thought he did have. He believes in things all the more thoroughly, the less he comprehends them and does not believe in the correctness of those ideas which he comprehends most easily. And he said, I tell you, only you yourself can be your liberator. That changed my life. Mm -hmm. That's incredible. That is incredible because that is so much. Of course, of course, it would be Wilhelm Reich. Of course, he would have. Of course, he would write something like that. Like because that's that's the man he was. And you know that's that's so much of of was my journey was to recognize my inner reality, my own thoughts, the things I think, the things that I'm interested in. The, the things I want to pursue, the things I don't want to pursue, my story has value intrinsically inside me. And if I can only strip off my, my inclination to look outside myself and to focus on all the good outside myself, to withdraw the projection back into myself and say, oh, wow, all this really great stuff lives in me and I can cultivate it and bring it out. That was an enormous turning point for me. And, the, and I try to guide men back to that. Like, no, no, don't listen to what that guy says. Don't listen to what that guy says. Yeah, and they may be right, but look inside yourself and see what's really good about you and treasure that. You can do that. In fact, you're supposed to do that. And so many men are so resistant to that idea. And that's why I love that Wilhelm Reich said it, because he speaks with, with an authority, you know, as such an accomplished man who really broke down boundaries and, and paid the price for it in many ways. So I'm really glad you shared that. And in fact, I need to share that with more men. It's incredible. Yeah, I can send it to you. If, if you just Google it, anybody listening, just Google Wilhelm Reich, listen, little man. There's mm -hmm. a PDF of the whole talk. Um, some, some parts of that will strike you more than others. But um, that was 
there's certain things that what I've done is I've looked at the work of so many brilliant minds and I use it as an assist. I don't use it as a dominant force in my mind. Like I am now a disciple of this person. <laughs> it's, it's more like, oh, I've learned from this great teacher and I resonated with something they said and they just had this magical gift of genius where they encapsulated what I was actually thinking and feeling in a sentence or a paragraph like that quote from Pythagoras or some of the great ones for Bruce Lee or so many other people. And you go, I love that. I love a brilliant mind that can just give it short and sweet. And it just has a profound impact on you. And the reason it has an impact is again, not because you're becoming this new cult follower. It's because it's inspiring your thinking and it's helping you reframe it in your terms. And that's what a good teacher is. Even in the martial art world, my process as an instructor evolved from okay, guys, let's do the ABCs of cookie cutter, step one through 12 martial arts, memorize and repeat, you know, robotis, robot version of it. And let's evolve out of that into here is a set, a palette of paints with different colors. Here's your paintbrush. Once you understand how to use the technique of, of painting and, and mixing colors and whatever, now you can paint a masterpiece. So now I teach martial arts in a conceptual basis as opposed to a Step one, put your left foot here. Mm -hmm. Step two. Yes, there are those technical things you need to have sound. But once you get through that, then you, you draw from now. Now I'm giving those students an ability to go watch maybe some Marcelo Garcia or some Gordon Ryan or some George St. Pierre or some Floyd Mayweather or whatever. And then be able to actually pull something out of that because they understand the concept behind it. And I guess that's why I've, I've worked, I keep working hard on my podcast to get better at articulating what I'm thinking. Mm -hmm. Cause it's, I always, sometimes I listen back and I'm like, oh, I didn't quite express it the way I meant it and thought it, you know, I'm sure you feel the same Sure. and you go, um, but, but I also accept that about myself and I go, well, no, the whole point is to find a way to teach people. Yes. The, this, the, the names, dates, places, and things, but also the concept here, what's the main goal, the goal in my book for truth warrior I boiled it down to three things. There's so many other things, but I boiled it down to we're seeking truth, freedom, and justice. Mm -hmm. So we talked a bit about truth. We talked a bit about freedom. The next quality is justice. And justice, um, it's something that I think is also another very masculine thing in the sense that it's, it's not seeking revenge. It's not seeking vengeance. It's seeking the, it's realizing nature is just, mm -hmm. even though it seems unfair to you, that if you step off the edge of a cliff by accident, you're dead. You're like, oh, that's not fair. But it actually is. Mm -hmm. You have to develop the sense and the awareness in order to survive on this planet. And that's actually what allows us to be able to uh, grow and develop and become stronger through this process. So uh, nature itself is just. Um, your inner nature is just. If you uh, put all kinds of garbage in your body constantly and you don't take care of yourself, justice will be served in that you will be tired, you will be fatigued, you'll eventually get sick, your immune system will be compromised, and then you'll probably die of a really horrific disease because you didn't tend the garden, right? Mm -hmm. That's not that the world is unfair, that's justice. Um, and so, and then of course, I look at it from the sense I've been covering some very deep, dark uh, subjects on my show, uh, had some interesting guests that we can get into whenever you want to do it, mm -hmm. um, about some really dark things happening. And and I sit there and I, I see these vic real victims, real victims of horrendous crimes against humanity. And even though they don't think like a victim in the way we were talking, they were, they were victimized by predatory types. And you sit back and you go, 
are we just going to allow this to continue? Are we just going to sit back and allow evil to exist in the world unchallenged? I feel like the real men of the world stand up. That's what a warrior does. A warrior Mm -hmm. stands when everybody else flees. That's the trademark. Mm -hmm. We're the ones that guard the gates, that watch at walls while you sleep, that fight the battles. And and so that principle is imbued in the warrior of justice. And um, it's true justice. And so I've done a lot of research into criminal psychology, um, really getting into legal, the law, like learning the law. Uh, definitely been pulling out and dusting off my charter of rights and freedoms and constitutions, you know, try mm-hmm. to brush up on that. Yeah. And and just looking back and saying, you know, justice is res- resolution. It's about resolving the unresolved. Um, it's not about uh, being vindictive. And, and this is what martial arts, isn't it? Like, I don't go out and use my skills to go and abuse people just because they they piss me off. Um, even though there's sometimes quite a temptation, uh, you, you say, no, I'm going to act in a way where I don't start a fight, but I damn well finish it mm-hmm. if it comes my way. And it's, it's a, it's a balance of, I'm a peaceful gardener, but I'm a warrior in the garden. And so if I'm one day just doing some gardening and then the next day my life is threatened, then I'm a warrior, you know, and it's, it, that's to me, that's justice. So I've been really talking about those concepts, truth, freedom, and justice. I guess the only other one missing from there would be health. That's another massive uh, focus. And health for me is holistic. It's mental health, physical health, spiritual health. And I think all those worlds are intertwined. Um, And uh, so, yeah, so many different directions that one could jump into from there. Men, if you've been part of men's personal development for any length of time, you'll know the vital importance we place on fitness. One of the key turning points of my life that led directly to the renaissance of men was me losing 40 pounds during lockdown and transforming my physique. I was motivated enough to do it on my own, but looking back, I wonder what I could have accomplished with guidance and support in creating my own physical rebirth. Enter Derek Arellano of Train Volition. Together, we've assembled a special program called the Volition Renaissance, targeted specifically for my listeners. Derek and I work together to merge our values. I unapologetically promote a man's need to embrace his masculinity, and Derek celebrates men's desire for physical prowess. To bring this about, Derek has developed a 12-week all-encompassing online program with some pretty amazing features. You kick off the program with a 30-minute consultation with Derek, where he gets to know you and plots your upward trajectory. Then you get a training and nutrition plan tailored for your goals, whether they be weight loss, mass gain, sports performance, or rehabilitation at any age or stage of life. Then you get a mobile training app to track your progress, lifestyle coaching to help you cultivate habits for success, three PDF eBooks that outline Derek's philosophy behind fitness and nutrition, and finally, a direct line to Derek for support when you need it most. The purpose behind this offering isn't just to get you in shape, but to create your physical renaissance. Because as I've personally discovered, True fitness goes beyond lifting heavy things and eating better food. It requires a total shift in mindset, which often requires support. And I know Derek can get you there. His brand is called Volition because it means making a choice, taking the path of effort, and using your willpower to achieve a goal. That's why he's the perfect partner for the renaissance of men. This program is for men who are motivated and ready to create their physical rebirth. If you ask me, there's no time to waste. So to learn more and sign up for Volition Renaissance, visit volitiontraining.com slash renofmen. That's volitiontraining, 
V-O-L-I-T-I-O-N training.com, volitiontraining.com slash men. This is Derek's most premium offering, which he's more than qualified to offer as a former top 10 U.S. bodybuilder. Check out my podcast episode with him from this year titled Fitness and Your Higher Self. Once again, to learn more, visit volitiontraining.com slash men and sign up now. Well, let's, I like this, I like this theme of justice because I think it's really up for a lot of people. And, and the way that I think about this is I describe it as the veil. Like there's been a veil that's been drawn back across reality. And now more and more things are being hidden behind the veil. Like, oh, don't look at, don't look at Jeffrey Epstein. Oh, don't look at Ghislaine Maxwell. Oh, don't, don't look at the election. Oh, don't, don't look, don't look at all this contrary data about, you know, about COVID and all that stuff. It's all being thrust behind the veil. You know, don't look at Joe Biden's hand over the, over the green screen thing. You know what I mean? All this stuff comes up and it's being put behind the veil and the veil has always been there. You know, this is Plato's The Cave, right? That's like, he observed it thousands of years ago that, you know, men, uh, well, people are entranced by illusions until you have a moment of awakening and then you go, you actually see the, you go and you see the sun until you wake up from the illusions. Okay, so that's just the nature of reality in some sense. But that veil has always been there. And I think if, I think you and I would agree that if most people knew how the world actually worked, they probably wouldn't be able to handle it. You know, once you start looking in, you know, and so... That's one of the things is like, okay. Unless they're masculine. Sorry to jump Um, in. Unless they have masculinity, then they can handle it. (laughs) That's absolutely true. And that's absolutely, and that, and that goes from, for men and for women, because, uh, because I think even for a woman who encounters the way the world naturally works, she has to have something over her naturally receptive feminine heart that can say, I'm going to withstand the force of what I'm, what I'm experiencing. I'm not going to let it bowl me over. And that's true for men and women, but I think men have more natural access to that defended quality because we've had to evolutionarily, like a man who wasn't capable of defending himself will say, uh, not just physically, but emotionally, intellectually, and spiritually wouldn't be strong enough to venture into the bear cave and deal with his own fear in doing so. So that's uh, from an evolutionary standpoint, men naturally had to be more defended. And one of the things that I'm uh, talking to lots of women about now is they're feeling the need to step into a form of leadership and uh, and discovering their own no, but they're navigating that boundary between, well, how how do I be masculine and strong while also remaining feminine and not turn into the tough bitch at the office, you know? And so that's all, that's a whole separate topic that we can get into. So, um, uh, but with regard to the justice, the justice piece. So the veil is being, is having to contain more and more stuff and the scales of justice are getting more and more out of balance. And then, and not just, not just justice in terms of like the breaking of laws, but it feels like there are actual spiritual laws being broken too. Like, for example, with the election, like potentially, like maybe this is the end of my podcast, but I doubt it. But, you know, potentially the will of 75 million Americans was actively subverted. Like you, you can look at yeah. that from a legal standpoint, but also from the, you know, from the violation of free will from a spiritual standpoint, you have the cosmic laws of justice are being broken more and more. And we have the sense that something is not right. Something is yeah. really not right. And it's like, and the feeling as I, as I, as I feel into it is like, when and how will the scales of justice be rebalanced by whom, when will the veil rip open every and everything fall out? How will that take place? Because we feel so deeply out of balance and, and I don't, I don't have a good answer for that, but it lives in me 
minute by minute of the sense of things being deeply out of, of balance. Justice needs to come from somewhere. And a lot of men are like, is it going to be me? Is it going to be me and the boys? Like, and yeah. it's like, well, I don't know. I hope not, but maybe shit, you know? And so this is the feeling that I think a lot of men are grappling with. It's like, everything is out of balance. Justice is not being served in a legal terrestrial sense, but also in a spiritual sense how do we get back to a, well, when I say get back to a state of justice, I suppose it's not that we were never really even fully in one. How do we achieve right, a state yeah. of justice for the first time? And that makes the question even bigger. <laughs> I'm going to have to go take a minute with that one. <laughs> so many good questions. Well, this is, I'm having a blast by the me way. Too, I hope everybody too. listening is. This is, a, these are the conversations that need to be had. And yeah. uh, I love thinking about this. So the way I, I guess, and I'm with you, I, I have to suppress my inner feeling of painting my face blue, grabbing a claymore, getting on a horse and leading a resistance <laughs> and dragging Justin Trudeau out of his little cottage. And, you know, yeah. but uh, you know that, then I sit back and I go, okay, hold on a minute, hold on a minute. Uh, would that actually be effective? No. Does it actually play better into their hands with exactly what they want with them yeah. leading all these, they're trying to invoke, actually, they were trying to invoke uh, mass insurrection and, and fighting in the streets with the Patriots of America and all these uh, other uh, groups. Um, and they were trying to start a civil war because you got to remember these these types of people, and we can get into who I'm talking about here if you want, but mm. basically let's look at it like this. The control freaks of the world that have gained the positions of power that operate very sociopathically and are working for their own interests, pretending to work for your interest, um, they would love nothing more than for chaos to happen because they're in a state of inner chaos. So mm -hmm. everything is a reflection of where you're at. Um, so if they're in a state of inner chaos, they actually see advantage in chaos. And that's why there's that old ordo ab chaos, yep. which is order out of chaos. Yep. Now there's, there's two sides to that statement. One side is um, order out of chaos in a philosophical stance of what it is to be a builder and a creator in the world, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. But then there's order out of chaos as a strategic uh plan as to how to gain control. So uh, there's two, two sides to it, right? Thank you for um, that distinction, by the way. Thank yeah, you so much. Yeah. Oh, uh, this, I, I had to wrestle with that one for a while. And then I went, oh yeah, no, everything that is used by what we call maybe the dark side of the force, these satanic Luciferians or whatever you want, how, whatever name people are comfortable with either way. I they're, call they're, them the, the losers who run the world. There you go. The losers pretending to be winners. They're in the cult <laughs> of envy, right? Um, they, 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 they're inauthentic, right? That's why they're able to cheat in order to win, mm -hmm. right? Because I don't ever want to win by cheating. Mm -hmm. If someone challenged me to a duel, I want to know if I can do it for real. Mm -hmm. I don't want to cheat. I don't want to tell them, okay, I'll pay a, bit, a couple bucks. I want you to drop in the third round. I don't, I can't, I just, I don't care how much money you pay me. It's not going to happen because I'm not here for that. I want to earn what I get, right? These people don't want to earn what they get. They just want to get. Mm -hmm. So that's a really easy distinction. Yeah. So if, the doors have been opened to allow them to get to the top. Of course, they're going to manage their empire in a way that is promotes chaos, right? Because that it provides a perfect opportunity for them to go look at all the chaos, look mm -hmm. at all the fighting. Yeah. We'll be the mommy and daddy and come and separate everybody. And you know what? I guess we'll just keep these lockdowns going forever uh, because of all these reasons that we're telling you, you need mm -hmm. to be controlled. You're, you naughty children. Mm -hmm. You know, this is the idea they want because but they don't really think like that. 
I guess what comes to mind is that movie Equilibrium with Christian Bale, one of my favorites, mm. uh, which is sadly becoming more and more of a, a documentary. But um, <laughs> the, there, there's the, the I villain. I could learn the, some gun foo. That'd be kind of cool. Oh, gun jitsu? Let's, <laughs> do it. Let's do it. So uh, the, the, there's that, the bad guy at the end of the film, sorry, spoiler alert, uh, it, it, he basically kind of admits that all this talk about oh, we need to suppress your humanity and your creativity and expression because that leads to war and violence and all the passions of the human being and our emotions uh, is what leads to all this stuff in the world. So we're going to erase that from you through injecting you three times a day with this, uh, you know, this vaccine or whatever, which again, is kind of interesting. Mm. Um, and then, and then, you know, and he's got this whole, you can see the propaganda, right? And then when he, when Christian Bale kills everybody and gets behind the veil and finally confronts this tyrant, he finds out that the whole thing was fake. The yeah. whole thing was literally just for him to have a way of controlling uh, the people. Mm-hmm. And I see that as what's happening. And so, uh, the, the, but to, to, to build from what I'm saying to this, what you brought up, which was justice and the fact that men feel right now, they don't know what to do. They don't know what to do. And I get this too, because I talk about these things and I know it just pisses people off. They're like, well, what do we do, Dave? And it's nice to know that there's this freaking cabal that hijacked our economy and is stealing from us. And there are, our entire governments have been captured by external forces and they're trying to turn us all into this global village gulag thing. What do we do about it? Do I rise up with my muskets? And they all have this vision of like Mel Gibson running through the woods with a musket and they're just taking their freedom back. And I'm like, look, what if, what if this is not the way we fight this battle? Mm-hmm. What if, from a strategical perspective, purely, the way we fight this battle is by empowering ourselves with what we lost that allowed these tyrants and these lice and these predators to take control, right? That What if we look at it like it's not them doing it to us. It's something, it's an immune system, right? So let's say if you, I, that example I gave before, if you live an unhealthy life and you make bad choices and you, you know, you drink too much and eat too much and put garbage in your body, then there's a consequence where you're suppressing your immune systems because you're overwhelming your immune system yep. and then it can't function to fight off even basic things, right? So what if there's an immune system of a culture or a society, right? Where if we aren't paying attention to politics, and we aren't paying attention to what's happening in our country. We're watching the ball game. We're watching Katy Perry and mm. Lady Gaga and uh, Super Bowl halftime shows. And we're tuning into Netflix every day and getting brainwashed. And we're, you know, all that kind of stuff. And we're not working on ourselves. Well, what fills that void? <laughs> the predators. Yeah. The, you know, so you look at it like this is, these guys didn't just steal power. We gave it to them by giving up our own internal power, mm-hmm. you see? Mm-hmm. So this is just the best idea I have. And I, I really hope there's some real good stuff going on behind the scenes with white hats and, and people. And, and I do believe, and I know for a fact, there are good people working behind the scenes. But there, one person and one group of people that are trying to save their country isn't good enough because right. they could, they, what's the old, um, who was it, William Blake, the uh, British poet, where he said, the hand that crushes the tyrant's head rises up a tyrant in its stead. Oh, wow. Right? Yeah. It's like the end of the Hunger Games series where that happens, right? She joins the revolution, they overthrow the President Snow, and then they install an even worse dictatorship. Mm -hmm. We've seen this over and over. So you go, well, how do we avoid that? So it wouldn't be enough to just save our country from this immediate threat. 
um, it, it would, we would have to raise the immune system of the consciousness of the citizenry that made up this thing we call a country. Mm-hmm. Uh, so how do we do that? So I guess I'm looking at this as I think this is going to be a long game um, where right now we're experiencing the exact amount of opposition, trauma, destruction of our rights, the attack on masculinity, the attack on good femininity as well, the attack on children, the attack on all these things. We're getting just what we deserve. We're getting what we need, Mm -hmm. right? We don't always get what we want, but we get what we need. And what we need to build our immune system and evolve to the next level or fail, be erased, and nature will do whatever it needs to do, is we need this oppositional force. We need this pressure. We need to see what real tyranny is so that when we read someone like Alexander Solzhenitsyn or Viktor Frankl or testimonies from the past uh, of people who survived tyranny and the loss of freedom in the past, when we read it, it means something now. We'll never forget it ever again. We'll teach it to our children just like you know, our forefathers who survived the world wars taught to their children, you know, never let it happen again. Uh, here's what happened, you know? And so we're getting, because we didn't pay attention in history class, because we were distracted, we followed the carrot on the stick. Now we're getting a crash course in freedom, truth, and justice. And it's exactly in proportion to the vacuum that was created in the absence of those ideals in our culture. So this is an opportunity and this is why I say this, there really is a great awakening happening and mm-hmm. it's happening on different levels for different people. Mm-hmm. But the most important thing is you don't have to be a high flying historian or whatever to understand what we're going through. You can just look and feel and go, do I really want to exchange everything it means to be human to become uh, a part of the Borg, the transhumanism, the 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 collectivism, the tyranny? Or am I going to make my own stand? And I'm going to say, you know what? I don't care if YouTube bans me. I don't care if there's a bunch of fact-checking websites run by the Pointer Institute telling me what my opinion should be. Mm-hmm. I don't care if every force out there is telling me that I'm bad because I'm a man or I'm a, I'm a, I'm a genocidal uh, freak because I happen to be white or I happen to be black or I happen to be this or that. I'm going to ignore that and I'm going to mm-hmm. find out who I really am mm-hmm. and build myself up into that warrior scholar that will be a formidable uh, contribution towards this new stream of consciousness of truth, freedom, and justice. I'm going to empower myself because honestly, that's the only domain you have command over. Mm-hmm. And that's the, that's the pill I have to swallow every day because I know, man, I want to get up and I'm like, I'm like Khabib. I'm like, is there a fight? Just send location. You know, like I'm in. <laughs> Here's the thing. Here's the thing. It won't work out very well. Yeah. It's what they want. So it's not the right way to fight your opponent. You guys do jujitsu. You know, you don't attack your opponent's guard with what they're expecting and what they're good at. You put them in a place where they're not as good, where you're good, right? So we have to fight this in a way that's, uh, it's, it's a battle of mind. It's a battle of, uh, of consciousness in the end. Mm-hmm. And that's why they started this battle with the war of the mind. It didn't start with lockdowns and tyranny and boots mm-hmm. on the ground. It started with cultural Marxism seeping into the education system and this ideology of separating, ma- you know, and, and it started with this, uh, with the ideology first. And now it's getting into a, a hot physical situation. So if we reverse engineer that and go back and go, where did all these seeds get planted? Oh, right. They've been emasculating us. They've mm-hmm. been weakening us. Through bad ideas. So we have to rebuild that 
which rebuilds the immune system. And you know what happens when your immune system becomes stronger? The disease has no terrain to work with anymore. Mm -hmm. So it just dies of its own death. It's like the, the aliens at the end of that War of the Worlds film where uh, I love that part at the end. You have Morgan Freeman's overlaying it and he's mm -hmm. talking about how they came from afar uh, wanting to dominate the planet, but uh, they had not earned their place on this planet. All the microbes and the bacterias and whatever, we earned it through evolving through that and building immunity to it. But these aliens were foreign and so it overtook them because this wasn't their home. This was our home. And you just sit back and you go, it's a weird, it's almost like there's an alien force, just hypothetically, hmm. possibly really, you never know. <laughs> hypothetically, uh, that, quote unquote. <laughs> quote unquote, I do, I do talk about these things as well. That's fine. Um, but the, the thing is, is it's an, uh, an alien mindset to the spirit of, of humanity mm -hmm. and freedom. And uh, the way we battle that is by building our psychic and spiritual and um, even physical immune system. I absolutely agree. And, and I was, I discovered this firsthand for myself during 2020 is that uh, because, you know, the lockdown started happening and I had just moved back to the United States and I was in my apartment. I was, you know, I live, I'm living now in, where, in the hometown where I grew up in, but I don't know too many people here. So I was kind of on my own and I embarked on this process of getting, of getting in shape. Uh, you know, I came back from a difficult situation, which my listeners heard me talk about, uh, basically a really bad breakup, moved back to the United States. And, you know, I was, I was overweight at the time and I'd been wanting to sort that out of myself because I'd been grieving and stuff. So the first thing I did was like, well, I'm going to lose all this weight. And so I spent the next, what, six months or something like that, losing 40 pounds. And meanwhile, at the same time in the United States, and I did this just in my apartment, like, cause all the gyms were closed and stuff like that. So, you know, with body weight and diet, like it's pretty simple, you know, almost like I was a prisoner in a way. Um, <laughs> and, and what I discovered during that process, what was going on, you know, the way that I, uh, the way that I frame a lot of the cultural Marxist stuff, um, particularly around COVID and Black Lives Matter is that it's, it's based fundamentally in guilt and shame. It's a backdoor hack into the human psyche. Right. And it's, yeah. it's, it, you, it's documented in the Bible where the first emotion that Adam and Eve feel when they eat the apple is shame. They realize their nakedness. That's just, it's the shame is that primal of an emotion. And we can unpack that, you know, separately, but you know, it sort of talks about that sort of signifies to me just how deep shame runs in us as beings. And I guess we might say in some sense, like separated from the divine. So mm -hmm. the way that these ideologies work is they exploit that hack in the human psyche to say, where does all this shame come from? Well, I'm dirty in some way. Well, as a white person, I'm dirty because I participated in, in African slavery, which is the worst thing ever to happen in human history is the way that it's framed the United States, probably in the West in general. And the way that it's framed in a COVID argument is that I'm infected with some disease that I don't even know I have. I should be ashamed of myself. And so right. it, it weakens people. It just corrupts them from within. It's like, oh, so, okay. So what I need to do then to be relieved of this fundamental shame is if I take a knee and put a mask on, then I can be absolved of my shame. It's fundamentally religious imagery, right? It's, 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 a, I'm so glad you caught on. Isn't that fascinating? Oh, yeah, keep I'm so going. glad you caught on to it too, because oh, I say yeah. this to guys. Oh, this is great. Okay, <laughs> this is fantastic. Okay, so, but the thing is, I started thinking about what's the best way to push back on that? And I realized mm -hmm. that in myself, getting in shape eradicated all that guilt and shame from my body. The way that you, it didn't, yeah. it didn't finish the process, but it certainly started. It's like, wait a minute. 
I went through and I literally worked out all the guilt and shame because I recognized that there's no better way than physical fitness for demonstrating that you have control over your life. You control what you put into your mouth and you control how you move your body and there's no one forcing food into your mouth and there's no one dictating exactly how you move your body throughout the day. It's fundamentally on you. You can exert agency over your physical being and if you can do that, then you can purify your physical being and if you can purify your physical being, then you know that you have nothing to feel guilty for and nothing to be ashamed of. And then in that way, you become spiritually immune to the guilt and shame mind virus that's crippling and ruining billions of people. And I tell that to people like, you know, you want to be, you want to be absolved of the, of the shame that is pushed by culture, incline bench. That's the cure. (laughs) <laughs> and there's, you know, like there's actual truth to it. And that comes from part of my community. Just the, the, the part of the communities that I'm in are, are the incline benches sort of a, is an, is an in joke in a way, but it has real truth to it because this uh, fitness, I guess I might call him guru or, or blogger or author or, or creator, uh, Alexander Cortez, you know, he's a, he's, he's tall and he talks a lot about the benefits of incline bench pressing over flat bench pressing. So he's like, flat bench pressing shouldn't necessarily be done by everyone. Incline benching is better for the chest. So incline bench became this kind of meme that rippled through these communities. So if you want to be purged of the guilt and shame, incline bench. And when you get in shape, suddenly you recognize or become capable or become dangerous. Suddenly you recognize like, wait a minute, I'm not ashamed of anything anymore. Least of all my body, least of all my appearance, least of all my behavior and my discipline. And then suddenly it's like the scales fall off your eyes and you recognize how ashamed everyone is. And the way that it all bears out, the truth of it over time is you look now in 2021 where you see like, who's eating the free Krispy Kremes? Who are the people showing their cards? <laughs> like, look at them. You know, these oh, are people you can, you can see it in their eyes. You can see it in their bodies. Like how much shame are they carrying? And in some sense, I feel a lot of empathy and compassion for my brothers. I really, really yeah. do. But in another sense, it's like, no, I will not take on your shame and I will not take on your guilt and I am immune to it. And, and men got to get there. They got to get to that place. And it's really difficult because we carry shame from so many other things in our lives. And you mentioned, you know, mental health, uh, uh, spiritual health, physical health. And, and what I always add to that is emotional health, to break out mental mm-hmm. health into emotional health and intellectual health. Intellectual health being like, what content do you consume? What are you reading? What are you watching? And emotional health being your inner well-being. And we carry so much shame as human beings, not just from this eternal separation from the divine, which you and I am sure can talk about, but also shame from our upbringing and traumatic events that happen to us. And this is an area that men are very reticent to go into is discovering the way that their own life stories have created wounds in them that are then being exploited by the machine. But we got to get there as well. That's some gold medal stuff there, Will. I, that, <laughs> that, that is one of the most important insights. Um, I'm uh, right there with you. I've awesome. noticed the same thing. Um, I started comparing the whole, I, I compared it to, I did actually did a show a while back. I don't even know if it's still up anywhere. I think it's on my Podbean. It's on mm. Podbean or, or iTunes. It's called Masquerade. <laughs> and I did mm. it during the summer and I compared this obsession over masking with the tradition of the masquerade and that it's almost as if we're being brought into a mass ritual. Mm. And um, I, because the reason I talk in that language of the cults, the rituals, the is because that's actually how a lot of these uh, secret societies and elites and whatever, op, that's how they think. Um, and, and also you can see it. You can see that they know what works on the human being. They don't need to rewrite anything. They just have to reinvent things. Oh yeah. So what they do, as you said, guilt and shame, that's what, corrupt, that's what corrupted 
the best parts of religion, which yep. maybe in their original intention weren't meant like that, but they got corrupted over time and you know, all that. And it, it building in this mechanism of you're a dirty sinner and the only way to achieve any kind of uh, grace and in, in virtue is by self-sacrifice, immolation, and mm. almost a borderline self-hatred. And, yep. and the world is a dark place, so I'll just try to do my best until the afterlife. And, <laughs> and then it's interesting when you take that schemata and you put it on top of this doctrine we're all being handed, which are, there's the slogans, you know, you got all these certain slogans that we keep hearing over and over again. You have the, uh, if you want to cross the boundary into Target or Walmart, which you shouldn't be shopping at anyways right yeah, now. Right. Uh, if you want to cross in, you have to do the blessing of the Holy Eucharist of of the hand sanitizer oh, Jesus. and the approval of the right religious garb of covering your head to, you know, in a lot of religions, they oh. do that and covering of your face and talking about slavery. Where's all the leftists right now? When the the number one symbol of slaves, um, and I mean, we're thinking in an American context, but yeah. that pales in comparison to what went down in the Ottoman Empire and yep. the Arab slave trade, which you're not allowed to talk about. But yeah. anyways, yeah. it was the mark of a slave was muzzling them. Mm -hmm. So I went, if you put all those components together, and also what's another thing they do um, in you know Guantanamo Bay and you know through torture experiments and things like that, they isolate prisoners. Uh, they... Uh, torture them through uh, sounds, through uh, like uh, repetitive sounds. They'll pump into the cells uh, that just start to drive you mad. They, um, you know, there's just so many elements of what we're seeing that's embedded in some of these horrific practices that are around torture, slavery, et cetera. Yep. And, and then the whole getting on the knee, remember that? that yep. you know, Pelosi and gang, Schumer, they're all getting on their knee. Uh, and to them, that means something way different than what they thought it was. They thought it was about George Floyd, but it's, everybody thinks it's that, but that's not what that really means to them. I would tell you, mm. um, those, those people are some of the most racist people you'll ever meet, by the way. For sure. Um, so it's the idea of the bended knee. That's a religious symbol of bending your knee to the gods, bending your knee yeah. to the, the vicars of the gods. And so there are so many elements within what we've just been handed as a solution to a virus, apparently that is actually building a global cult. Mm -hmm. And when you look at the ingredients of a cult, they're all there. And I did a series, uh, you can actually get it, I saved it, it's on my Rockfin channel, I'm on Rockfin, you just spell it R-O-K-F-I-N. Um, and I built, it's called Cult, Cults of Death and Power. And it was a long form sort of me just going through my notes. Um, I'm gonna sharpen it up and build it out even better over time. but. They're all like three or four hour episodes. It's ridiculous. Mm. But it goes through uh, analyzing. I started with the cults like, you know, uh, Heaven's Gate, Jim Jones, um, Charles Manson, you know, all these L.A. cults, freaky cults that kind of popped out of there. And then, you know, the, the uh, process Church of the Final Judgment, the Order of the Solar Temple, which had a lot of solar uh, Templar symbolism with it. Mm -hmm. And they're cults of death. They actually bring people in and they indoctrinate them through, you know, they blind them with the light and then eventually it ends up in either ritual suicide or murder or you have to do something for the cult. And, and I went from there and then I evolved it into, you know, ancient cults, you know, the cult of Aton, the cult of Set, the cult of Dionysus, the cult, the whole ancient world was all formed by cults. Mm -hmm. And then, and then are, you know, ask the question, did any of those cults go away? Are they still just as prevalent today behind the scenes as our religions are, you know, mm -hmm. religion didn't go away. And so, um, and then I went to the next level of political cults, you know, the other political, you, know, you look at Pol Pot and 
and Stalinist Russia and Nazi Germany with the Thule Society obsession with the occult, uh, even Idi Amin in Africa. He was a sorcerer. He was somebody that was very much into ritual uh, voodoo and magic and things like that. And, and, and the connections between a lot of these individuals and older other cults, it's such an interesting series. And then I'm building that up into this presentation that I'm going to be doing. It's going to be a 12 part series. I'm going to keep it at like 45 minutes an episode Mm -hmm. and it's going to be called cult of the medics. And I'm basically Mm -hmm. bringing all the information I've collected for the last 18 years or so on uh, both personal experience with uh, the medical industry with my family and things like that. And then also research of the history of the FDA, the Rockefeller Institute, mm-hmm. the, uh, the, the pharmaceutical companies, et cetera, and how there was this, this change in modern medicine where it went from, let's just use technology to assist with what we already know about health from the Eastern traditions or the Ayurvedic traditions, it went into, no, it's all just drugs and surgery and it became an industry. Mm-hmm. And then any doctor that would come out and go, you know what? I'm an, I don't mind a few natural things here and there. I believe in the somatic intelligence. But they're just banned from the cult. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so, and now look what's happening. Uh, the reason my YouTube channel finally got demolished was because I interviewed Dr. Carrie Madej, who was, she's one of the top experts in her field. She was, she won awards. She was, you know, she knows what she's talking about. And she came out with a very stark warning about these whole vaccines and the lockdowns and everything else. And so I have this medical expert on my show. I'm just interviewing her and she's giving me her medical opinion, right? And her scientific opinion. And YouTube, some twerks at YouTube came out and said, I'm spreading medical misinformation. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, well, what do you mean? Well, because it contradicts the WHO. And I'm like, yeah, but the WHO is come on, it's funded by Bill Gates and it's run by China. Like it's not like, it, that's not the only opinion in the world. Like there's other doctors. We can't have this dialogue. Like where is the debate? Why isn't Anthony Fauci debating, I don't know, Dr. Judy Mikovits or something. Why don't they just have it out for us to see? Just like in the UFC, I'm like, I'm a, I want to see the fight. I want to see who wins, right? Yep. And they don't, so when they say, okay, no, no debate. We're going to censor anybody that doesn't uh, go along with it you know, what did the Vatican do during the inquisitions, right? What, what did they do? They censored out anything that wasn't a part of their dogma. Um, and you just keep going through these comparisons and you realize they're literally trying to create a global cult yep. because that benefits them and that erases individuality, the process of seeking alternative ideas and then weighing the evidence for yourself and actually participating in the scientific method, right? Mm-hmm. I love how they say, you guys are just anti-science. You are science deniers and all that. I'm like, I'm not the one denying science. Science is an open investigation and it's a process of learning and you have to be willing to have your ideas tested. I'm willing to have my ideas tested. I've put out open calls for debates on my show. I've done debates on my show. Um, and I feel like that's valuable. Uh, and, but why isn't the other side doing that? Because it's got that cult like, uh, premise behind it, which to me gives me all the red flags I need to know. So whether it's with this current situation we're in right now, or whether they're going to go with the climate stuff, or whether they're going to go with alien invasions or volcanoes <laughs> erupting or whatever they want, it's a modus operandi yeah. that uh, every, every red-blooded man out there needs to know about, which is that they present a problem in front of you, some kind of a crisis that needs to be dealt with, that the only way around it is to subjugate the, the society and take away freedom, 
that is a blueprint that has been used since the dawn of time. Mm-hmm. And so if we don't understand that history and we just jump up and go, yeah, but Dave, but the, the, the variants and the double mutant variants and it's going to catch the <laughs> COVID coming around every corner. It's under my bed right now. And you go, well, no, hold on a minute. You've been watching a lot of the news, haven't you? Haven't you? you know? I can see, brother. Turn that right? off. Yeah. Turn that shit off and go to source material. Go read studies. Go empower yourself with knowledge. Well, I'm not a medical expert. I don't know how to read a study. Go empower yourself with the knowledge of how to read a medical yeah. journal. It's out there. you know. And so that's masculinity. It's not that we're just rebels without a cause. We're rebels with a cause, mm-hmm. the cause of truth, freedom, and justice. And if we be wrong... I will gladly eat crow and I will apologize and I will backtrack what I said. However, I have yet to be shown and I'm, the whole world has yet to be shown yeah. the actual scientific evidence for justifying literal fascism being imposed around the world simultaneously as if, as if everybody's coordinating it all at once from some central location. So, uh, you know, that's kind of where <laughs> I, I don't know where I was going with that, but I think it's it okay. leads into justice somewhere. No, I mean, it's, it's, it's all up, right? It's, it's all just, it's all just present and alive for all of us. And I, I just, I want to throw in, I want to check this out with you because I, I once got this really good definition of a cult. Like how can you tell when someone is, um, is in a cult or when something is a cult and, and the best rule of thumb is that you can tell you're in a cult when, when you try to leave, you get shit on, right? Yeah. So, so when you, when you try to leave any cult, like for example, if you try to leave Scientology, they don't let you leave cult. You know what I mean? So in in the same way in this medical community, as we're talking about, when you try and say, well, wait a minute, hold on. I don't think that doctors distribute health. I think health comes naturally from my body and doctors only exist to treat illness. And then I can get health from so many different sources, not necessarily from a doctor that's leading, leaving the cult of the medics. And then they shit on you and say, what are you a science denier? What are you with this? What are you with that? It's like, oh, I see. This is a cult. By you know what I mean? And that's that's a really good heuristic that I apply. And I think that kind of proves the point that we're all attempting, they're trying to impose this cult of the medics. And there's this book, um, Ivan Illich, The Limits of Medicine, uh, mm-hmm. that I always recommend to people. It's, it's uh, I don't remember what the subtitle is. I can pull it up. But it, he basically lays out the case. You know, this book was written in the 80s or the 90s or something like that. He's a Russian author. So, of course, he sees everything much more clearly with what's going on in the West than, than many Americans do. And he basically lays out the case that what's been happening over the past literally like 100, 150 years with the advance of the medical industry is the outsourcing of health from a, a thing that's naturally created within our bodies, naturally towards a homeostasis to something that we have to go be, have administered to us by an institution. It's not enough that like, if I just get sunlight and drink clean water and eat whole foods, single mm. ingredient foods and exercise and sleep and, you know, and, 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 and hug my loved ones and read a book and turn off the TV, the health will naturally come out of it. It's like, no, no, no. People have been convinced that they need to go to some external source, a person, an industry to receive their health. And that's what's showing up in this whole vaccine thing is this idea that exactly. uh, yeah, that I'm somehow infected with a disease whose symptoms are so serious that I don't know I have them. And so that I need to go to my high priest, you know, the local center and receive my annual injection to receive the injection of health into my body. And that's the trick. And as soon as you see the trick, the whole thing evaporates. It's like, no, I don't actually get health from you. I get health from me. You, are, right. you exist you know, you, these technologies exist to facilitate 
health that I can't otherwise create for myself. So for example, like a, like a broken bone, you're not going to go to an acupuncturist to fix a broken bone. That's probably not going to go. You're, but you can go to the hospital and then they can x-ray it and they can set the bone and they can remove impediments from the natural health healing impulse that exists within your body to flow freely and, and mend the bone. Right. So this is the, bend, right. the, you know, the blessings of, of both Eastern and Western medicine, a distinction that we some, that sometimes gets lost in these discussions, but the health ultimately comes from me, not from you. And, and, and I'm really happy to know a lot of men that are really starting to get this and they start to get really mad once they discover that like, wait a minute, it was in front of me all the time. And you have, and you have all these people that are, um, that are showing up that are, that are telling me that it's something else. And, and they mm-hmm. figure out I, the, the key was in my hands. I'm in a cage and the key has been in my hands the whole time. And that naturally sure. creates this. And to, to, to link back to the justice piece, there's this feeling like how much has been taken from me? But then you also mentioned something that I think was really interesting and there's truth to it as well. It's like, to what extent do we deserve this? And that's the really yeah. difficult thing to grapple with is that balance between like, well, yes, there was some alarm clock going off sleeper kind of thing. And there's also some injustice on the other side as well. And so now this is me rambling off into the wilderness and I'm going to throw oh, the ball. No, it's good. <laughs> I'm going to throw the ball it's to you good. and you can pick it up. <laughs> well, no, very good. And you know what? I could actually just get a little bit more specific for that cult definition uh, for people. I've got a few uh, quotes that I keep close to me that just help to uh, isolate or to expose that because people need to see it. And when you see the blueprint, you look around the world now with fresh eyes and you go, oh, right. Yeah, it, it is what he says. So let's just go through it real quick. So I got this one. Um, it's from RJ Intendola. And he wrote just really quickly what a cult is. And he said, the cult thrives on maintaining strict, harmonious beliefs in attitude, opinions, and behavior. Discord and dissonance are averted at all costs to maintain a false dogma. Truth propels the group deeper into pseudo-beliefs. And truth-telling is defamed. The result is cognitive dissonance. And there's so much you can pull out of that one. Yeah. And then I have another one here from uh, Louis Joylin West who says, the cult is defined as a group or movement exhibiting a great or excessive devotion or dedication to some person, idea, or thing and employing unethically manipulative techniques of persuasion and control i.e. isolation and uh, from former friends and family, de- debilitation, the use of special methods to heighten suggestibility and subservience, powerful group pressure, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, information management, hello, mm-hmm. fact checkers, suspension of individuality or critical judgment, the promotion of total dependency on the group and a fear of leaving it, and this is designed to advance the goals of the group's leaders or ideals to the actual possible detriment of members, their families, or their community. Mm-hmm. And then I'll knock it out of the park with Aldous Huxley really quickly, mm-hmm. uh, where he says, the nature of psychological compulsion is such that those who act under constraint remain under the impression that they are acting under their own initiative. <laughs> the victim of mind manipulation does not know that he is the victim. To him, the walls of his prison are invisible and he believes himself to be free. That he is free is apparent only to other people. His servitude is strictly objective. Mm. And I read those because when you think about it, it all goes back to what we've been talking about, which is the masculine principle. Mm -hmm. Where every sales pitch we're given, whether it be about this virus, whether it be about our economy, whether it be about any of these things, 
is to drive us more towards collectivism and the loss of self and identity um, and free expression. So the that's the demasculinization of our culture in both men and women is to get rid of that, right? Mm-hmm. And to create a cult-like environment that is uh, what my colleague Michael Tessarian calls one leash for many necks. So oh, now these awesome. elites, they just have to yank on one leash instead of having to deal with all these random competitors on the battlefield that are going to cause problems. They don't want all these William Wallace's jumping out of nowhere. Uh, they want complete and total strict, harmonious thoughts, attitudes, opinions, and behavior. And when you, when, when I read that out on, on one of my shows, um, I had so many emails from that of people literally telling me just those quotes woke them up to everything that I, they just woke them up in a way that, cause when you see it like that and then you apply it, yeah. uh, to what we're being told, what we're seeing on so many different levels, especially with the thing about masculinity and, and men and all that, you'll realize um, what's really going on. And again, people are up, it's up to them whether they think this was controlled and managed by, by purpose or whether it's some kind of funky, weird place that we're all just in at this point in evolution. But in the end, here we are. And now the question to all men and all people who strive for masculinity is, what are you going to do about it? Mm-hmm. And I have that question sent to me a lot, which is, well, okay, Dave, now what do I do? And I say, you know what? I'm, I, I got ideas, uh, but why don't you sit with that question? Why don't you let that question of what am I going to do? Or first of all, turn it from what are we going to do to what am I going to do? Yep. That's the first step. And then the next step is to keep asking yourself that question. Don't ask me that question. Don't ask somebody else that question. Ask yourself that question every day because you know what that question will come to is not what can I do, but what can I, yeah, what, yeah, what can I do? What, what can, it becomes a question you start asking yourself. And what that does is it encourages personal responsibility. Maybe there are things that you can do. Look at you, Will, you started a podcast. You took back control of your health. You took back control of your fitness. You're, you're bringing, you're creating a resonance field of energy now mm. where you're attracting other men and, and people into your sphere where you can uh, influence each other in a positive way. You're doing something. Mm-hmm. You're doing something. Uh, I'm doing something in my way. Other people, they do their way. Uh, some people, they just write a song and that inspires the world and it becomes something big. And like, that's why I say everybody sit with that question, make it personal and don't just finish that question uh, with the first solution that comes to you. Meditate on it, play with it, let it change, let it mold you, let it drive you because we need incentive. If, if someone just spoon feeds you all the answers all the time, then we're back at square one and that's the problem. We need people that are thinking for themselves and are able to become proactive in their life, which is the masculine principle. And that is the truth. So it doesn't matter how you get there. Um, it's long as you get there. I'm glad you said all that because, uh, you know, I, I know that, um, I know that you and I are up and probably on total alignment on the, the deeper currents that are running through our world and through our modern era and that are now surfacing. But I know that there are men out there that hear names like Rockefeller and stuff like that, and they begin to kind of glaze over a little bit. And, uh, you know, I'm glad that you brought it back to the ground because, you know, for, for any of those men that are, they're hearing that stuff and then maybe they roll in their eyes and they don't really know. It's like, I just ask that you like stick with us because the point that I made to somebody recently is that one of the challenges that people have when dealing with what we'll call, we'll just come out and say it like conspiracy related topics is that right. the, the men who talk about them 
usually and the people in the past who have talked about them you have guys like alex jones you know what i mean or you have you have the the skinny professor looking dudes or you have the you you know you have the guys that just seem you know they kind of fly off the handle or somehow ungrounded or stoners or something like that and they they've taken these ideas and they've become obsessed with the ideas as such and they haven't actually brought them back to the literally to the body and said what am I going to do with this now to improve as a man? And they haven't let them really let these ideas feed back in a positive way. They let the ideas take them over. And that's, you know, why I've never really been into Alex Jones. Like I've, I've just kind of avoided him because it's like, you know, for whatever, whatever purpose he's, purposes he's serving at whatever level, it's like, I just look at him. It's like, this is a guy that hasn't properly integrated the things that he's talking about. And there's lots of examples of that. There's tons of examples of that. But you know, when 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 for myself, when I began exposing myself to these ideas, and I've seen this happen with some other men that I know as well, including one of my really close friends recently, is the question ultimately has to become, okay, I'm discovering all this. I'm not sure to the point that I can say whether it's capital T true or not, but I know that I can say it's true enough that I need to do something about it. And it's not what are we going to do, as you just said, it's what am I going to do? And where does it begin? It begins with my body. It begins with the treatment of myself. It begins with my health across the four dimensions we talked about. And I would actually say that there's a fifth dimension and that fifth dimension of it is soul or purpose that when we, that when we align our physical health, our emotional health, our intellectual health and our spiritual health, you know, what comes out of all of that is a sense of purpose. Now I am healthy in as many dimensions as I can be, that I am as a being and a sense of purpose emerges out of that. And I won't have access to my purpose unless I've resolved these fundamental issues of my being. And then when purpose crystallizes in me, as you said, around a podcast, then suddenly everything else kind of fades into the background and I know exactly what I can do. And amidst all the noise and all the chaos and all the propaganda and all the madness that's going around, I still have my purpose and I ground to that. And by aligning my mind and my whole being along the axis of my purpose, you know, it's like shining a light into the darkness and suddenly everything becomes true and I can see it for myself, but I can't necessarily show it to someone else. But men who are aligned along the axis of purpose, they begin to see the truth that would otherwise remain hidden. And that's what I always try to explain to men is like, you can't just get into these ideas and go splashing down into the whole world of conspiracy and sink all the way to the bottom. You got to start to swim with it. You got to start to move with it and you got to start bringing it into your body and then things will become true over time. And even saying this, like I've seen so many eye rolls from men. It's like, look, I'm just asking you, stay at the table with me. Don't get up and leave because together we can figure this out. And so I love you saying all that because it's so important now more than ever. Like, yes, in the 80s, you could listen to guys like Bill Cooper or whatever who would, you know, ramp from a podium and say, this is coming, this is coming. And I love, I love Bill Cooper. So it's not about Bill Cooper, mm. but, you know, so, but who'd rant about a podium, but it's like, no, no, we're past the Bill Cooper stage. Now we're at the point where, you know, and this is, we're going to get right to your name, Truth Warrior. Now we're at the point where truth warriors have to stand up and say, I am both a warrior and I pursue truth. And these are not separate processes. These are synergistic processes that what I discover about the outer and the inner world feeds back into my body, into my behavior and back and forth and back and forth. And that's what creates a, a lift in consciousness. And I want to, I want to, call out my, in a positive way, my, my brother, Arthur Dane, blood and rain. And what he said in our podcast together, which absolutely blew me away and continues to, is he said, politics is downstream, downstream from culture, but culture is downstream from consciousness. 
And when mm. he said that, mind blown, because that was the key <laughs> that I had been looking for, is this yeah. is the consciousness evolution which has to manifest in the body. And then all these things become clear. And then all these things become clear in a way they weren't before. Everything we're talking about, cults and, and uh, quote unquote, and conspiracies or, or plots or whatever, like wherever you think that it comes from. And I would actually like to address that with you like sure. in, in a dialogue kind of way, because for me, it comes down to the problem of evil, like capital E evil, you know, and we're <laughs> I was there. just going to say it. Yeah. yeah, we got there, right? So <laughs> let's yeah. deal with this. But, you know, that, that it really boils down to that issue. You know, what are you going to do in the face of, like, are you going to acknowledge the possibility that capital E evil exists or that it's all just an accident? And that's really what it comes down to. And I would like to cite Kevin Spacey, not an accident. It was him, probably. The greatest trick the devil pull, ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. So I want to throw that out there as we begin moving into this question, because I meet so few people you know, just in general that are willing and capable of talking about the actual problem of evil. And to me, that's very central and I sit with it quite often. And so I feel like this is something that you and I can probably get into because we've worked, you know, to embody it in a way, to become warriors against truth and warriors for truth and what is truth against lies and lies and evil pretty much go hand in hand. So maybe we can merge into that topic or we can, you know, we can work our way in slowly. Well, great points. And let me just reassure all your listeners right now. Um, I don't wear any tinfoil hats. I'm not a nutter. And I go to the highest minds in history that have exposed what we call conspiracy. And it's actually, there's an appropriateness to that word and an inappropriateness to that word. Yeah. And I think what a lot of people get turned off about that thing is it's, there's a lot of fanfare about it. There's a lot of circus uh, stuff around it. There's a lot of red herrings out there. There's a lot of nonsense out there. But in my experience, um, the circus usually gathers around something that at the core really does have a truth to it. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it's, it's something that it takes a particular kind of mind that to get into it. But, you know, I grew up reading like Sherlock Holmes, the Hardy boys, uh, watching the X files, that kind of stuff. And just always, uh, had a fascination with the criminal history of humanity mm-hmm. and what it is that creates a criminal and why there's different degrees of criminals and, um, and, and that's where you enter into the world of understanding the nature of good and evil. Mm-hmm. And it was like Solzhenitsyn that said, you know, it'd be nice if we could just point fingers at some people and say, Hey, there's some evil, evil, the potential of evil strikes the heart of every man. Mm-hmm. And that made something very clear to me that, um, when we talk about this thing, conspiracy, it's been blown up into a big cartoon. Mm-hmm. And, uh, now what happens is now people just roll their eyes because they're actually rolling their eyes at the cartoon caricature of this thing called conspiracy theory, right. uh, with the assistance of course, of decades of consistent propaganda from the media, always framing it like that mm-hmm. coincidentally. Yeah. Uh, but then they don't actually go to the sources. They don't actually know what's in the literature and the history of it. And I could prove to anybody that would sit down and have a beer with me. I could prove to them that, a, a an overarching criminal agenda exists. Um, it's just a matter of uh, understanding where they're coming from. And, and again, realizing that when you go, when you stare into the face of evil, you're confronting yourself. And so a lot of people are repulsed by this subject, not because there's a lack of evidence, because trust me, there's mountains of evidence. It's just a matter of the issue is a psychological nature. The issue is what we've been talking about, which is the emasculated aspect of things where Mm -hmm. they don't have the, 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 it, what, what I'm saying, it basically takes you out of the place of being the apex predator. 
which humans really love to hold that place. That we like to believe oh, that wow. we are the peak of civilization. We like to believe we're untouchable. We like to believe that you know we command nature and all that. And to some degree, that's true. But for us to believe, us little people here, to believe that there could be something more intelligent um, or at work to undermine our best interests or to keep us enslaved, um, that's an ego check that most men simply can't deal with. Mm. Um, it's kind of like the same look in their eyes that I see when they come into the dojo with this feeling like, well, who's this scrawny little guy? I could deal with them. And then they wake up on the canvas and they're like, what the hell? And you go, well, it's not about that. It's just, it's, it's, you need to have, when you want to pursue a subject as complex as this, you need to come at it with that exact same humility. Uh, not, not passiveness where you just accept everything I'm saying, because I don't talk about this like that. I hate people that do. I, I don't want to create another cult. I don't want to be the one that's like, well, you just got to listen to what I'm saying. Everything I talk about is sourced um, upside and down. And I lean on the greatest minds that have ever looked at this subject. And the way I look at it is this. What if I turned it around? Yeah. What if I told you that almost all of history is an unbroken trail of one conspiracy after another? And that conspiracies are a norm, not the exception. Right. And I'll tell you why. What is a conspiracy? And I did this, I had a, I had a, there was a, I'll tell you a little story. Um, my colleague, Michael and I did a series on my show. Uh, you can get it again. It's on Podbean and iTunes. And we did it. We kind of used a catchy title called the psychology of conspiracy deniers mm -hmm. sure. <laughs> just to kind of throw it back. Right. And it was just for some fun. But what I did is there was a professor in uh, British Columbia and this, they have, they roll this stuff out all the time where he was doing a course trying to debunk the notion of conspiracy theories. And I attended the course uh, virtually and I listened in and at, I listened to his whole little shtick. I've heard the same routine so many times. They, they never get creative. It's always incredible to me how that happens. And I, I waited to the Q&A and I asked this one question because at the beginning he defines his terms, right? And he defined the term conspiracy theory. And he defined it under what he assumed conspiracy theory to be, mm -hmm. which wasn't accurate, right. and did not define those two words separately. So in the end, I asked him the question. I said, could you uh, just answer this question? Could you define the word or could you define the term conspiracy for me? And what he did was he addressed my question and reverted back to his first slide where he defines conspiracy theory as one idea. And I tried to have a follow-up, but he just brushed it off and moved on. And I went... Wow. All I was asking was for the legal definition of conspiracy. Right. So if you go to the courthouse right now, you'll see people being convicted of one conspiracy or another. Unfortunately, it's not the people we would like, but hey, whatever. It's the average person, conspiracy to commit fraud, conspiracy to commit murder, conspiracy to commit theft. Conspire just means to breathe together. Mm -hmm. It means to come together to achieve an illicit, immoral or unlawful or evil act. Okay. That's all it means. So to deny that that happens in history, to deny that that happens even to this moment, given the world we live in currently, um, is that is that is the fallacy. That is the denier mechanism. But what people are, I know what they're talking about when they go, oh, here we go with the conspiracy theories, is they have all the images that have been created into the cartoons right. because they haven't really looked at it. And whenever I present the facts to people where it's undeniable, just like in jujitsu, I prove to them, jujitsu really does work you prove it to them, there's a different change. And they go, oh, you mean that? Okay, I, I understand that. The truth is there's something in all of us that is we want to cheat. We want to cut corners. 
um, we want to find an easy way out. And that happens when you're emasculated and you don't have a sense of self and you don't have self-esteem. You look for cheating to achieve your objective. So if I were to define conspiracy for you, I would say cheating and deceiving and manipulating in order to achieve an objective. Uh, does anybody listening right now know people that have deceived them or cheated them or lied to them? Do liars exist? Do manipulators exist? You know, did Pol Pot exist? Are, are there conspiracies? Hell yes, there's nothing but. In fact, once in a while, you get good people in positions of authority doing good things. The vast majority of it is criminal conspiracies to steal your tax money and put it into um, projects that do not serve your interest or serve the interest of your country. Um, it is to fund uh, terrorist organizations, black markets, human traffickers, etc. What is the whole world of human trafficking that this world is learning about right God. now? That is about to learn a hell of a lot more coming up real soon. Mm. Um, where you look at that industry and then you come back and tell me there's no conspiracy. That is a global, uh, international network of underground human slave and sex trade that is happening right under our noses yep. while all the men of the world are sitting there scoffing at conspiracy theories. That to me is a big problem. So, and, and I could go into specifics. Like the, I think the main conspiracy that has been talked about for so long, you think of Bill Cooper and so many other people, um, is the conspiracy for a one world government. Okay. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I remember the day, I remember the day when I was talking about this years ago where I would say, guys, they're trying to clearly look at all the things they're doing. They're trying to create a one world government. And everybody was like, no, that's a conspiracy. They're not trying to create a one world government. You guys are crazy tinfoil hatters. And I was always wondering why the reaction was so extreme. It's like, well, I was just talking about what, uh, you know, Gordon Brown just said and what Barack Obama just said and what George Bush just said, but whatever. Uh, they always have this really like antagonistic kind of trying to make fun of you type of answer. And I was always kind of shocked by that because I'm like, well, they actually did say it. And the United Nations is creating something right now called a world parliament. Now, what's the difference? Uh, yeah. The Klaus Schwab just came out while we were all locked down and hiding under our beds and started talking about something he's calling the Great Reset, which sounds a hell of a lot like Mao's Great Leap Forward, if you really know what you're reading. Yeah. And what was that? But essentially, a they're going, well, there's a problem. Here's the solution. Our solution is that we just create, we get rid of national boundaries, which is why we had the, the all the push against the nation state and nationalists are equated to Nazis and all that because they want to create the vibe that we want a one world order. We want a one world system. And so then when I talk about it now, people don't have the problem of me saying there's a world government conspiracy. Now they're like, yeah, but it's not evil, Dave. It's a good thing. We should all come together, you know, <sighs> kumbaya. And I went, well, okay, let's pull ourselves out of the idealistic cloud of ponies and rainbows for a second and just look at history and look at the history of these people. So here's a few quick little facts. Who knows? Who founded the United Nations? Who was it specifically, names, dates, places, and people that founded and funded the actual United Nations? And when you look into those people, you'll find that it's loaded with KGB agents, Soviet spies, ex-Nazis, um, high-level finance, etc. And you go, that's an interesting birth of this beneficent, uh, benevolent uh, force in the world. What is their agenda? What is the agenda of the Council on Foreign Relations? Uh, you've heard of it. It does exist. It's mm -hmm. documented. Um, they have an agenda and you can actually read all about it from them, which is to eradicate national boundaries and create a supranational authority. 
that's their agenda. What about the order of the Fabian Society no, coming? I was just thinking that. I was just thinking exactly. that. Exactly. The founder of the Fabian Society, Sidney Webb, had some very interesting things to say, like, you know, it's a, it's a great deal. We, we generate a great deal of excitement from this extraordinary game of chess of uh, basically manipulating people to believe what we tell them. Like, these people are very open. Uh, the symbol of the Fabian Society is a wolf in sheep's clothing. That symbol is conspiratorial itself. It's the conspiracy of pretending you're something you're not with an ulterior motive. Um, you know, and then what about the, the, the names? This is something we went through. Uh, we didn't go to a bunch of tinfoil hatters when we talked about these theories. We went to, you know, Benjamin Disraeli, prime minister of England, one of the first printers, Woodrow Wilson, George Washington, uh, Winston Churchill, John Quincy Adams, uh, Chester Ward, who was an admiral in the U.S. Uh, Navy, J. Edgar Hoover, uh, Erich von Ludenforth, he was a general, James Bogreitz, Smedley Butler, Fletcher Proud. I could keep going. I have a mm. list of 75 names. Uh, Ted Gunderson, former FBI director in Los Angeles. Um, John DeCamp, who was a senator. Uh, Gary Allen, another senator. Uh, so many other people that have written about this thing that we're seeing right now. You go back to Myron Fagan back in like the early 1900s. Um, you could go back to the Duke of Brunswick from the 1700s, who was the founder. He was the head of world Freemasonry. And he came out and actually tried to disband Freemasonry because he said, we have been infiltrated by a sun cult that is trying to use our order to uh, take illegitimate positions of power because of the degrees that we have, the compartmentalization. Mm -hmm. And you know, this isn't just some guy off the street. This is the Duke of Brunswick. So we go to... And I could sit here endlessly going through it and say, there's a legitimate, what you're looking at is a history of criminality, a history of, I mean, going back to Julius Caesar, there was a plot to kill him by the people closest to him. Uh, you know, nothing but can go back to the Tudor, the houses of the Tudors or uh, the, the Pharisees, the, the Pharisees plotting with Herod, you know, like, the Jacobins in France, the, yeah. the, and yeah, Rockefellers, those names come up, but man, the Rockefellers actually existed. They actually owned the vast majority of the means of production during the, uh, what was it, in 1900s or whatever. Um, and they came out, David Rockefeller himself in his own memoirs, as admitting to being involved in conspiracies to subvert national boundaries and to create a one world system run by the elites. Um, so, mm -hmm. you know, we could, and then, what was the all of communist Russia, but an experimental conspiracy uh, to overthrow the czar and install this new communist uh, thing. And uh, Venezuela, I had a friend of mine come on from Venezuela where the government obviously completely lied to them and, and built them all up to think they were going to be the greatest thing under this new system. And then, you know, not too long after, these people are so poor, they're eating their shoes, you know, and trying to flee persecution. Um I could go on and on. And then the cults, uh, then we get into the secret society networks, which do exist. It's not just a fun thing to talk about. They right. exist. There's in Vatican City, there's 386 uh, satellite secret society organizations that surround Vatican City um, that still exist to this day. The chivalric and knight orders, you know, the Templars, the knights. Does anybody know that the Knights of Malta uh, were formerly the Knights Hospitallers? Everybody... Uh, Everybody heard about the battles between the Hospitallers and the Templars or whatever. But did you know that that evolved into what we call the Knights of Malta? And that the Knights of Malta exists to this day and sits on the United States security panel as a nation, 
meaning it has its own national sovereignty as a nation, but it's just a, it's an old chivalric knightly order um, that again, flies under the banner of we're philanthropists and whatever, but yet they're in bed with some of the most evil people that have ever existed. Uh, you know, and then you think about other conspiracies like, okay, we know that we were told by the World Health Organization, which is a satellite organization of the United Nations and people that funded that, they, they're the ones calling the shots with this whole pandemic. Yeah. Uh, but do we know that uh, the number one funder and financer of the United Nations or the World Health Organization, as soon as the US pulled out of it, was the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation? Uh, does anybody have any questions about the fact that Bill Gates himself is documented to have been doing business with Jeffrey Epstein? Photos, photographs, on, yeah. Yeah, for, oh, and admitted. Yeah, yeah oh, yeah, with yeah. doing charities. Been to his house, uh, been on his Lolita Express uh, at least three times, even though Bill Gates obviously has his own private jets. Um, you know, and and there's no questions about that. Uh, even the fact that Jeffrey Epstein, this whole thing came out to the public is that nothing but a conspiracy right. of international pedophilia and procuring of children to service the elites? Uh, that's a conspiracy because it's based in evil, illegal, immoral, and unlawful acts, and it's planned in concert, and it's under the scenes, and it just so happens to be happening amongst the most rich and powerful people on the planet. So for people to be able to accept the fact that you can be hauled before a court and charged with a conspiracy to not go along with the lockdowns or not pay your taxes or kill or murder or steal. Why the hell could we be walking around with this naive notion that the most rich and powerful people in the world wouldn't be involved in uh, the game of strategy of maintaining a power differential against us serfs? Uh, you got to get your head examined if you think that's some kind of a theory. What's theoretical might be certain events the way you think they happened. Um, but I would look at something like 9-11, for example, just really quick, as I don't care what, what it was that brought the buildings down or if the planes were CGI or if it was space-based weapons or if it was just some hijackers that were paid off. I don't really care because I know what they did with that event yep. to stage the illegal invasions of Iraq, Afghanistan and start that whole hornet's nest over there. Yep. Um, and then again, to take away sovereignty and erode the constitution bit by bit. Mm -hmm. And now here we are 19 years after 9-11 with COVID-19. Mm -hmm. And then I'll leave you with, if you really want to have your mind blown, go check out the um, closing ceremonies of the 2012 I, Olympic Games. I know. And just come back and tell me that there's no, you might not agree with it. We might not have all the answers. I kind of feel like we're just like kids peering through the window to see what the adults are up to. But um, tell me that there isn't cause for investigation into symbolism, yep. into the world of cults, into the world of politics, into the world of academia, follow the money. I mean, come on, six major multimedia corporations control everything you see, hear, and read. Um, and so if they, what was that great thing that Senator Gary Allen said? He said, just keep in mind at all times that the goal of any criminal a conspiracy is to obviously put out the notion that there is no criminal conspiracy. Right. Of course. <laughs> of course. So that's kind of a nutshell of my argument there. <laughs> no. And I, I, I really, I really appreciate all that because I think in the, in the content of everything that we're talking about is encapsulated a lot of the different themes in this conversation and, you know, particularly around uh, truth, freedom, and justice. And you can feel in your passion for these topics you know, the, the, and, and my shared passion, which I'm feeling, you know, just silently on the other, other side of the microphone 
is 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 a passion for those three things. Like, what is the truth here? Why is it? Why is it the? Why is it that all these things somehow, quote unquote, coincidentally, you know, one way or another, you can attribute it to coincidence or you can attribute it to strategy. But so one way or another, always lead inevitably to a restriction of freedom. So the truth, freedom, and then there's the justice piece. There's a sense that every man at any stage of at any real stage of awakening, and probably even those who aren't at any stage of awakening, they're just consenting to it, feel like this is unjust. And if all this stuff sounds outlandish to anyone who's listening, we all talk very openly and very honestly about, you know, about soy, about pollutants in the water, about, you know, the need to get sunlight and to, and to lift weights and to, and to some guys are into eating raw meat or slonking eggs, which I think is eating raw eggs and stuff like that. And all these things that are men are discovering about the ways that testosterone levels are declining etc and the feminization yeah. of culture and the and the you know when you see what was it the rapper kid Cudi or something like that uh you know wearing a dress on saturday night live where you see the rapper Lil nas you know twerking on satan with his satan shoes <laughs> oh my god yeah. well it's just like that's just but bit, dr seuss is a little too hot for everybody so we're getting rid of dr seuss right. and baby it's cold outside that's the same week you know what i mean it's like you <laughs> we talk about these things all day and it's like and when you when you even if you don't look at them in a larger societal context like let's let's just continue consider the issue of of what's being done specifically to masculinity in isolation let's just consider it in isolation divorced from any other con any other context right you can look at all these things and say wow if i will were to try and set a, a strategy about to undermine masculinity as effectively as, as possible what would i do and I would do all of those things, right? That seems pretty clear. What aspect of being a man isn't under attack, right down to sperm counts and testosterone counts, you know, and the promotion of dad bods and the and the undermining of fatherhood through the media. Like, are, like you, you become on this one single subject, become very hard pressed to say, is this a coincidence? Is this the direction that the ball naturally rolls downhill? Or are we being pushed? And that's a, and that's really what it comes down to. And you, not you, David, but you, the individual, need to decide: is this the natural flow of uh, the unchecked natural flow of society in this direction of decreased truth, freedom of ju and justice? Is that what it means to be human, or is there naturally this instinct in us that craves truth, freedom, and justice that we would naturally move towards if not acted upon by some outside force? And that's what it comes yeah. down to. And I think yeah. I, and where I land is we are being acted upon by some outside force and I'll crystallize it with the health issue. Our bodies naturally tend towards health and integrity. And we're finding that under assault right now by everything around us in the medical establishment, our body naturally wants to achieve health. We're not being permitted to achieve health by the propaganda in our system. I, and I think that makes it crystal clear that the natural inclination of us as beings is towards truth, freedom of ju and justice, and we are being acted upon by some outside force. And is that outside force consciously directed? I don't know. We all kind of enjoyed, well, some of us enjoyed watching Game of Thrones for the grand conspiracy that that whole show is. Is mm. it possible we're recognizing something about reality, not just in that show, but in Breaking Bad or The Sopranos or The Godfather? Like, what are all these great films about? They're about these conspiracies to essentially commit crimes. And we resonate with something in that, but somehow it exists in the fictional world, but we're not picking up on it in the real world. And so like, I, I just try to break it all down to this 
you as an individual have to look at everything critically and you have to decide. And it's a really uncomfortable decision. I, I, you know, it's a really uncomfortable decision, but to, to take it all the way back to where we bought, uh, started at the beginning around the question of pride, it, like, are you willing to be wrong? Are you willing to take the risk to be wrong? And that's what it really comes down to. And, and like, you know, that's where we're at. And like, I don't want to be wrong. Sometimes I am. But when I realized that I was wrong about the way the world worked, that was a fundamentally liberating position to take. And I try to get men to that position. Yeah, that's so good. And, um, you know, maybe I could also help relieve people of their um, stress about the term conspiracy with yeah. uh, let's take that right out. Let's throw that out. Let's not call it that anymore. Yeah. What if we call it asymmetric warfare? How about that? Let's go over there. What's awesome. asymmetric warfare? Well, symmetric warfare would be uh, two rather equal armies in terms of military potential facing off against each other and the best strategy wins. That's symmetric warfare. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, one army on one battlefield, one army on the other is battling in the light of day and best man wins. Asymmetric warfare is the warfare of losers. It's the warfare of, um, it's the warfare of, well, I'd say losers, but like the people that would not win on a symmetric battlefield. So losers. So, are, that, so yeah, exactly. There, there you go. So they, they, <laughs> they use something called strategy to subvert because maybe they're outnumbered. Uh, maybe there's a reason they have to employ more of a strategic, manipulative Trojan. What is the story of the Trojan horse? Right. But a conspiracy to infiltrate and then take over and de by deceiving people. Mm. Um, putting a carrot on the stick. They follow the carrot and then here comes the poison. What do you mean? Um, the men were so, just naturally inside the horse. It emerged that way. <laughs> it's just a coincidence. Um, <laughs> so asymmetric warfare is, is that's the tactic of uh, the communist international. That's the, that was the tactic even Hitler used to build the National Socialist Party. I yeah. always highlight that. Yeah. Um, it, it was the, it was the tactic that was used by many empire expanding agencies throughout history to obtain power. Um, and if you can't seize power legitimately as a strong ma masculine entity would, then you use manipulation, you use deception, you use subterfuge, you use cloak and dagger, which is what we get in the conspiratorial world. So what about this? What if Western civilization was the biggest threat to an overarching agenda by a group of very powerful people that had accrued a lot of wealth, physical wealth, land resources, but wanted to uh, change the order of the economy to be less free market and more highly controlled and centralized. How would you achieve that when you have this notion in Western civilization um, and I mean, even when I say Western civilization, I always mean also the allies of Western civilization in other countries, meaning they embody the virtues of, of freedom, truth and justice, individuation, sovereign rights, et cetera. Um, so they, but that that flies in the face of any kind of global control. Right. So if the, the age old struggle from Genghis Khan to the pharaohs to whatever of global domination or Rome or, yep, yep. you know, British Empire, think of the British Empire. And there's a whole connection to the British and uh, not the British people, but the establishment within the British Empire, which was a small country living on this tiny island, taking over the world. And they said that the sun never set on the British Empire. It was so vast. Um, and you you think, OK, well, what if there are people still fighting in the world? Still, uh, what's the right word? They're still looking for that same world that they want, which is total global domination, full spectrum dominance. How would you achieve it when you have 
some a country like America that has the most armed citizenry in the world, that has a notion of independence, fighting against the man, uh, individual freedom, right to property, um, you know, right to bodily autonomy, free speech, all these things. You you can't achieve um, a hive mind world that will be run by AI and artificial intelligence and all that. You can't achieve that with that idea running around in the world. That's right. Um, so you have to slowly erode it. So because they couldn't beat America and the West physically because the military power was too great, they used infiltration. I mean, even after the American Revolution, why didn't the British just try to attack them again and again until they won? Well, it's because they were beaten so badly by like less than 3% of the American male population that they went, these guys are too good at guerrilla warfare. We're used to the symmetric warfare mm -hmm, of mm -hmm. standing there, loading, shooting, and then like it was so retarded, right? So they were good at, at something. So they said, well, let's use that strategy instead and let's infiltrate America right from the get-go. We'll infiltrate their government. We'll infiltrate their education. We'll infiltrate their finance houses. We'll start moving things around. We'll get our politicians in place and we'll take it over from within because then they're working for us. So that's asymmetric warfare. That's conspiracy. That's what that is. Mm -hmm. And it started right from 7076, 1776, from the founding of America. Uh, it, you can see it in the evidence of like the 1871 Banking Act, uh, the creature for Jekyll Island, the Federal Reserve. You can see this these incremental steps that were led by people that had an ideology to use asymmetric warfare to achieve dominance of a region that was built to be free. They don't want freedom because freedom is antagonistic to their agenda. Just like a bully doesn't want you to be walking around <laughs> un, uh, unmolested. They, they want to have power over you. They don't have internal power, so they, they seek to steal the power from the people that do have power. And when you see, so when they do it, they use the subtle tactics of trying to get under your skin. They never just walk up and punch you in the face, do they? They try to get under your skin. They try to mock you. They try to uh, get a gang around them to intimidate you, uh, to get you to yield to them. That's what that thing is. And so why wouldn't we think that that could be happening on the geopolitical stage, especially when there's actual admissions of this, when there's evidence of this? And here we are. What if the emasculation of the man of the West and the men of the world was a plan? Mm -hmm. What if that was in the way? They don't want the Spartan army rising up. They don't want William Wallace to rise up with his, his gangs to fight these guys off. They don't want that anymore. So instead of confronting them head on symmetrically, you use glyphosate and chemicals and all these uh, gender bender chemicals in the water supplies. You uh, overload people with all these uh, toxins and sugars, white refined sugars. You get people addicted to pharmaceutical chemicals that are basically built out of the oil industry, which was run by the Rockefellers and other, other families. Uh, you, you basically build in a eugenics principle. Um, that's what they believe in, you know, getting rid of the unfit and you can create the unfit and then get rid of them that way. What if the uh, whole ideology came in as a poison? It's like the long march to the institutions, right? Admitted yeah, right there. Things. These are real things. These are real things, guys. Um, and what if, what if uh, Yuri Bezmenov, who was a former KGB agent, what if he was right in his uh, little prescription for how the West would be taken over? He said, it's going to be a process of four steps. D, 
demoralization. So you demoralize a country. Then you destabilize it, maybe economically, maybe through crisis. Uh, then you create the crisis. And then you normalize the new changes that come after the aftermath of that. Yeah. Look at history over the last, uh, just look over the last 60 years. And, and tell me honestly that you believe that that's not exactly what's gone on. Especially when you look around at the, the men today who are mocked in the media, who are misrepresented, who are under constant attack by these uh, new feminists and, and other forces, um, who are oddly enough aligning with um, the most patriarchal uh, <laughs> societies on the earth. I won't name any names. Um, right. and, and getting rid of true masculinity and, make, and putting it up as something that is somehow evil or flawed or toxic. Um, and, and, and then, you know, you keep bringing in, then you bring in the climate stuff and you bring in, um, you know, just so many elements, the, the agendas of Hollywood to, uh, hypersexualize your children oh, at a very so, young age. It's so terrible. Every, it's so, yeah, yeah. hypersexualize all of us, like all of us, you know, it's us. like, like yeah, try it's, and find a Hollywood movie released in the past, basically since, since it's a wonderful life that doesn't center somehow around either sex or violence. Like that's exactly. just watch any Marvel movie. What's it about? It's about violence. Watch any, yep. you know, or, and, and Marvel movies is just one end of the spectrum where even watching the Godfather is wonderful a work of art. That is, it's also about violence, you know? And yep. so in the, how many movies are also about sex to varying degrees, even something as innocuous as sleepless in Seattle, which I love that movie, but you know, ultimately that's what that is. That's about like, it's not about like, Hey, let's, let's create a family. Let's create a beautiful traditions. You know what I mean? Let's, let's write what's wrong in our lives. You know, it's, a, it's about something else entirely. Um, and maybe that's not the best example, you know, because it is, it's such an innocuous movie in so many ways, but, you know, viewing Hollywood through that lens, I'm sorry, I cut you off viewing Hollywood through that oh. lens as just a manifestation of these agendas to, to, um, that, that, that really undermine authenticity and humanity that undermine our, our initial, um, our, our, our fundamental and essential pursuit of pursuit of health. And I just, I want to, I want to pause the conversation here just for a second, because discussions sure. like this they very easily slide off the road into some very destructive ideas. And, and so I need to make, I need to make really clear that, um, that these ideas are propagating through humans, right? Like there's no, right. like there's no one right here who's being pointed at and saying them, right? The, 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 inst no, no. the instinct, well, that happens a lot, right? It like does. the, the yeah. instinct to dominate is something that has, that has taken place through humanity through all of time and it manifests in different ways. So you can look yeah. at like Genghis Khan, Genghis Khan wanted to take over, over the world. And how did he want it? How did he want to do it? I suppose you would say he wanted to do it in a masculine conquest kind of way. Yeah, brute well, force. Brute yeah. force, right. And Alexander, Alexander the Great was the same. And I'm sure that there were, you know, plenty of empire builders in, in uh, South America during the Incas and the, the Mayans and the Aztecs. And I'm sure in Africa, like it's, it's a phenomenon all throughout, all throughout history. And what we're seeing now, I think, is a is an inversion as a subversion of that that same instinct to dominate but that's taking place in a feminine way in the dark and so this mm -hmm. this instinct to dominate it's not new it's and it can't be pointed fingers to anyone say there 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 and that's really really important because so many people they start looking for people to blame and then they lose a sense of perspective of hum, of human history and it's really easy to get there and i need to i need to interrupt the discussion and just call that out and be rec recognized that we're fighting a very old battle in a very yeah. new way 
And so, so that, so that men don't get lost in the weeds of what's going on and recognize that we have a chance to do something very powerful for the first time in history, which is stand up for the best of masculinity and the best of femininity and not seek to dominate and not seek to subvert. And so that's, that's the, that's the fusion that I think is going on. And, And what I try to embody in the Renaissance of men is that we're bringing together, we're fighting this old war in a new way with consciousness in a way that we haven't had before. And so I I just want to say that because I think it's important to say. It's very important. And another thing that happens is uh, we get into groupthink where we start to go, oh, it's, uh, it's only those people. It's though, and there's a, actually in, in the, in the spheres that I work in, there's a huge feud between which groups are at the top of the pyramid, which is it those groups? Is it this group? Is it that group? Is it men? Is it women? Is it boy? And I'm sitting there going, it, this is something that strikes through the heart of all of us. This is, right. it changes faces. Uh, there's definitely um, certain uh, organizations and, um, you know, people involved that you can point to. But um, when they're dead and gone, there'll be another, there'll be others that'll take on the helm. It is the Game of Thrones. And it, it's a battle for supremacy of uh, beyond any kind of race or gender. These people don't, I don't believe, think like that. They think of just purely, you know, it's criminal mafia fighting it's, itself, you know, it's, and, and it, this is, what is that? That's, that's why I got back to that question of what makes somebody a human trafficker? What makes somebody a, a political puppet that just follows orders, even though if it means the demise of their country? Um, what, what makes somebody a criminal or a cult leader or a murderer or a psychopath or a, a Bundy? You know, what, right. what does that? Um, you can't just say it's, it's, just, it's just white people. It's just black people. It's just Jewish people. It's just Muslim people or Christian people or this or that. When I look at this whole conspiracy or whatever, um, it's got a bit of everybody in there because right. it's right. a reflection including of us. humanity, including, including us. us. And and what we have to remember is it's all fine and good to point up at the king on the hill and go, look at that corrupt guy in his ivory towers. But then you allowed him to exist by doing nothing, by not rising up to your own greatness and becoming heroic and and freeing yourself. You needed someone you got used to a life where people were ordering your life for you and telling you what to do and being the experts and being the priests and being the cult leaders. Um, and the whole point of freedom is that free people don't ask for permission. Free people don't just follow along just because everybody else is doing it, uh, regardless of what king is sitting on or queen is sitting on the throne. Um, yep. and, and, and so that you have to become the king and the queen of your own house internally. Yep. That's, we're talking in psychological terms there. And, yes. and that's the way out of this. Every time I talk about any kind of what people would call like some pretty scary or dark stuff, um, I always bring the light to it and say, all healing happens when you look at it. I think it was Vernon Howard who had a good quote where he said, human sickness is so severe, but those who look at it will become well. And I think that's another thing yep, is I talk yep. to a lot of men and I'll go, Hey, yeah, what do you think about all this stuff? They're like, you know what? It just pisses me off. I can't, I can't, I know it's true. I just, I can't, it just pisses me off. And I'm like, but you do know that you're creating immunity to evil by studying evil, right? Mm-hmm. Your, your, your eyes become accustomed to the dark. And now you, now you're informed with uh, information that can help you navigate your life without being a prey animal. Mm-hmm. Do you want to live life as a prey animal or do you want to live life as a free uh, sovereign being. Right. And so that's where I try to bring the balance and say, okay, we live in a duality. There is 
evil, but there's also good. Look, we're having these conversations that are trying to heal this and, so, and solve it and, and get to the bottom of it and learn about it and find the truth. That's the positive side. Mm -hmm. Humanity has produced just as many geniuses as it has psychopaths, right? The two are, the two are not unrelated. It takes They're a certain single-mindedness to be able to achieve true genius, right? Exactly, exactly. Right. We, we actually did a series on Unslaved. We called it Sage and Psychopath. And wow. we looked at how they actually, they cycle a lot. They actually hang on the same balance, yep. balancing beam of the mind. Um, it's just that, you know, one is coming from that corrupted nature and the other has perfected itself in a different way. But, you know, there's something called evil genius, you know, there's documentaries about it. Uh, so it's an aspect of humanity that we have to grapple with. And this question of evil to me is central to everything. Uh, evil to me is just the word live spelled backwards. Mm. It's the inversion of the natural, the good, the God, the nature, the spirit. Um, it's the corruption of that. And if the individual is corrupted internally, then yes, they're going to go join the biker gangs and the cults and the criminal mafias. And they're going to get into politics for power, not to help the people. They're going to get to the helm of corporations and do great damage to the planet and to everybody's life because they don't care just for a buck versus the person that would maybe get to a top level of a corporation actually do some good. Like it's, right. it's not about the thing. It's not that government is bad and corporations are bad and even secret societies. There's a lot of good secret societies in the world that were probably secret in the past simply because the overwhelming majority of people were, they didn't understand it. So they would have hung, drawn and quartered them for even talking about this stuff. Um, so there's, it's, it's hard. People get stuck on like specifics and, 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 yeah. and that can help, but it, it, you can get lost in the woods. So I just encourage people, look, we got to look at these things. These are very important questions, but as Bruce Lee said, all knowledge is ultimately self-knowledge. Mm -hmm. And that to me resonated so deeply that when I'm exploring any big question, whether it's like these fringe UFO things, just cause I'm curious or whether it's uh, deep, you know, philosophy or psychology or history or, you know, politics, I realize I'm learning about myself and that's the gift. Yep. And that's the action of a true masculine uh, energy yep. is to be, as you said, brave enough to make mistakes and realize we're on an, we're, we're, we're making it an inquiry. We're making it a study. And that action is what is freeing your mind. Mm -hmm. Well said. That's beautifully said. And it's, it's so important. I, I love how you called out than the, like the healing nature of this conversation. Because I, I, that is one of my deepest intentions behind what I'm doing with the Renaissance of Men, what I'm doing with this podcast and what I do and some of the other services I offer is the, the, the intention, I say that at the intro, the, in the introduction to the podcast with the man with the deepest voice in the world, he says, you know, to heal our lives, grow strong and transcend our limitations. Like I wrote that. I mean that. That's why I'm doing this. And so the whole point behind all of this is not to get stuck in any topic or stuck in any idea or, you know, the, or, or any perspective. It's the idea that, as you say, to the point of self-knowledge, that you go investigating these ideas or concepts or, or teachings or philosophies or whatever you want to call them. And ultimately, it all has to come back to you as an individual, not in an exclusive sense, not in a narcissistic sense, but an idea of self-reflection. What do I see about myself reflected in the outer world? And then you discover like, oh, wow, okay, I've learned this thing about myself. I've learned that I have resentment inside myself. And this is the whole point about, you know, you say that um, 
you said, uh, how did you describe it about the uh, was it cult, the cult of envy? Cult of envy. Yeah. Well, yeah. Nietzsche talked about that. He called it resentment, right? With this idea. Yeah, that that's it, right. Yeah. yeah, this whole idea, right? So it gets confused too easily with the English word resentment because he meant something different. This sort of this idea of resentment that lives within you that takes you over. Like mm. we have that within ourselves. It's not something that just the bad people have over there. It's like no, that lives with us. This is Sultanitz's point, right? It lives yeah. with, uh, within us, and so we need to pour. We need to purge that out. And there's so much of that. And I, that's why I spoke about the notion of the people, the truth and men of agency is that in talking about this, who is, who do I want to see part of this? Who do I want walking with me? And who do I want to walk with? I want to work with men or walk with men who purge the resentment out of themselves, right? Who believe that they have agency and don't see themselves as victims of anyone or anything, period. And recognize that we live in an extraordinary moment of consciousness evolution that I don't think anyone can deny anymore. Like you should, please don't deny it anymore because you're only hurting yourself, but you're all like, you can also help yourself and many others. If you recognize this moment for what it is as a moment of true consciousness, uh, consciousness evolution in the pursuit of truth and not to allow resentment to take over towards anyone or towards anything or to the circumstances. It's like, okay, it is tempting to fall prey to that resentment and to get worked up and to get angry and to get righteous and to get out the righteous flaming sort of justice, which God knows I've done enough times online ripping hmm. out rants that I wish I hadn't done. <laughs> and, you know, and yeah. we all do it and we all need a pressure right. release val valve and that's, and that's totally fine. But it's when that pressure re release valve becomes an identity, that's where it becomes a problem and you lose sight of why you're doing this in the first place. I get out my flaming sword and I rant online for 60 minutes on YouTube and I get a lot of likes or I, I whip out some angry tweets on Twitter or whatever. And it's like suddenly the, the thing that I was doing to express myself becomes a prison that I'm trapped in and now I'm invested in it and I lose the pursuit of truth. And that happens so, so easily. It happens so easily. And so that's why I always, you know, encourage men to go into these ideas and to express them, but not to get caught in them and keep moving through them and let them keep moving through you. Because I swear on the other side, there's really, really good things waiting. And so I always need to call that out in the discussion because it's way too easy to have various, you know, as we're imagine we're swimming, we're, we're, we're flowing down a river as quickly as we can with all these topics. And there are certain hooks that just get caught in the mouth and drag you out, you know, based on what the hooks are that you have in your own personality. And I always try to encourage, you know, any men who are listening to not let those hooks get in them and to, you know, to connect with their fellow brothers and like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I lost the plot there for a second. Okay, I'm going to come back down. I'm going to come back down to the ground. And that's so necessary. And I, I can even feel it in myself saying right now, because of course I get up into the stratosphere as well. And so, yeah. you know, I always try to, I always try to bring it back for men to exactly what we're talking about is that it all comes back to what am I learning about myself and how am I putting it into practice in my daily life? Yeah, I agree. That was well said. Um, the finding that balance is crucial. Um, I think that's what this whole journey is about. I look at earth, earth is like the school of hard knocks. Right. And that's why I said, you know, that's why I, I want to, wanted to grow up in a dojo because, uh, I feel like the world is our dojo. The world is our place of training, our, our place of refinement and who knows what comes after. But, um, what do they say? You live, you live as though you're immortal. Um, but also have a balanced view of the fact that one day you're going to die. And, um, it, you know, it's, this, there's no finite answer on a lot of things and that's okay. Yeah, this is about a process of unfolding and development. And um, if I just feel like we need to become creative, again, use our imagination a little bit more, sharpen our reason and our intellect. 
I love how a lot of those the debates happen where people are on one side of that. They're like, you need to be just creative and introspective and get rid of your logic and reason. And other people are like, no, only logic and reason, get rid of your creativity. It's like, what you need both. Mm -hmm. you're, you're equipped with all these tools. So um, I feel like uh, this, these ideas are coming out more and more. And isn't it interesting that we're having these types of conversations that I feel are more evolved conversations uh, during a crisis, during mm -hmm. a time of crisis, Absolutely. Uh, with the feeling of impending doom hanging over us. It's almost like that's what we need. I, I know that for myself, I developed the most in my martial art career under the most amount of stress, under the most amount of hard work and training and the worries of failure. And, and, and it, it helped forge me into a better person because of that pressure. Mm -hmm. uh, it's like the way they make katana swords. You know, they fold them and put them in fire and hammer them and beat them into this uh, amazing piece of ancient technology that is both sharp and flexible. You know, it's amazing. And so you look at it like, well, that's, that's what I'm doing right now. I'm creating my own mind and my own being in that way. And I need pressure. I need challenge. Uh, we need to embrace the challenge that's instead right. of run from it. And that's the heroic journey. And that's what we need to resurrect once again, because uh, that's how you save yourself from the feeling of annihilation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And there's a, there is a posture, there's a way of looking at all this, of saying, you know, you can look at it again, and this gets that, I think it gets to the very root of, of the resentment that we're talking about. You can look at this and, and, and say on some, really, it's this, I can feel it in myself, this really deep subconscious level, like poor me. Like, look at all these terrible things happening. But I can, I can also get into that and say, what an incredible opportunity to, against, to, to discover the strength of my own soul to push back against an opponent, you know, meaning just the, the reality that we live in right now, you know, mm -hmm. uh, 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 to push back against this quote unquote superior opponent, opponent and discover my own strength, you know, like it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's not an impossible task. Like, yeah, okay, when I, I, I'm having this image of the, of the, um, of the woman I was rolling jujitsu with last week who, who showed me just what a novice I was at jujitsu, right? And, <laughs> yeah. you know, and I'm great. I was super grateful for that lesson because that was a real humbling lesson. And, you know, I was smiling like, that was awesome. Like, let's, let's do that again. <laughs> you know, just show right. me, just show me how incapable I really am. It's like, okay, so now I can start building off of that. And I think that's, that's you know, we're, we're in maybe one big epic jujitsu battle, you know what I mean, if we want to frame it that way. <laughs> yeah. But it unfolds over time in this very slow way where we ultimately discover our own capability and begin pushing back and saying no. And in that, discover our strength. And it's like, and, and I've got a podcast literally coming out tomorrow with uh, Bronson Norton, who's a musician. He also lives in Canada, by the way. And he talks about... Um, he talks about how he was walking down the street one day and he heard he on a street he didn't usually walk down and he heard cries for help coming from a nearby house and the door was open and he went charging into the house and he found a woman being sexually assaulted and oh, wow. and like and it was in uh, it was in I think it was in British Columbia and it was like actually one of the most serious sexual assaults in history and he was he was in the news and everything and famous for for saving this woman and we talked about in the course of the conversation like you know that's objectively like the worst thing that had happened to both him and and her, the woman who was being assaulted. And the, the man was, you know, insane or, or mentally unstable or something like that. So it was the worst thing to ever happen to him. But he turned that around into the best thing that ever happened to him. And as did the woman who the sexual assault happened to. And we said, you know, obviously if I could snap my fingers and make it go away, I could, but it's not up to me to do that. They took that, they took both of them, took that difficult circumstances, you know, something far more horrific than I think any of us would ever want to experience. And they said, how am I going to transform as a result of this? And they turned what was quote unquote, I suppose you might think 
or say a curse into a blessing. And that's ultimately where I've landed in this whole moment of like, you know what, I can look at this as a curse. I can say that this is, oh, oh, woe is me to be born in such tough times. Or I could say like, no, fuck that. You know, I'm going to be better. And that is so, I guess it's nourishing to me is the word that is the word that comes up. And I, and I think that's a far more, uh, that's a far more powerful place to stand in as a man to say like, I'm currently wrestling against a superior, an opponent who may be superior, but I will defeat it, him, you know, it's them, right. this, you know, and, and, and that's what I try to facilitate and, and create in men is that spirit of like, oh no, we will win. <laughs> that's, that's, that's assured. Just keep showing up. Exactly. Keep showing up. That's really the key. And I hope your listeners will keep showing up to your show and maybe come over and check out what I got going on. A thousand percent. And, uh, keep, keep the, keep that energy going in the right places. Um, and you know, we've got this, I, I have this mm-hmm. saying, I've been saying a lot, truth wins. Yes. So we have belief systems. You're only as good as your information, but in the end, the truth is always right. And, um, so you seek it, you do your best uh, with what you've got. There are so many tools out there. Um, ignorance is a choice in our day today. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas in the past people that lived through some of these dark periods, they didn't have access to the information that we have access to now, which is a blessing. Yep. Um, and so, you know, just go and make this your own journey. And there's so many amazing things that'll open up for you. And, I encourage everybody out there too that might feel like they don't know what to do and they feel disempowered and they're not sure about how they can contribute. Um, let that fear just go away and don't put so much pressure and just find it in yourself what you're here to do. You're here to do something more than just eat, sleep and die. Uh, you're here to create something. So dig in and find that inner hero, that inner warrior let it come out. Forget about all the people, what they're saying around you. It doesn't matter. This is about you versus you mm-hmm. in the end. Mm-hmm. And if you, be, if you win that battle, man, there's no battle you can't confront. Man. That's right. That's well said. And, and one of the most exciting things about, and I think everyone can kind of see it now, is I've seen you, know, you as kind of this exciting door for men to encounter and see themselves reflected in your story and in your pursuits and in your interests and go into your I was going to say world, but it's probably more like a universe of content at this point and begin finding their way through the, this multi-mansioned room that you've explored over 18 years. Like just go let yourself in, you know, and allow yourself to be guided because that's how I look at this renaissance of men that's been going on for 40 years is it's a multi, it's a multi-roomed, did I say multi-mansion room? I meant a multi-room mansion <laughs> is what right. I meant to say. I, see, I suppose you could say a multi-mansion room as well. There's an interesting fractal image in there, but a multi-roomed mansion of come in and begin exploring all these different aspects of, of, of the philosophy of masculinity. You might say like a Jack Donovan or a David Data or a Robert Bly or a Roman McClay, or just go exploring and go wandering. It's as engaging and, and as enthralling in the world and don't get too caught up in any one idea of it. Play with them all. And in the same way, you offer something similar to the worlds that you explore of like, men, go explore this world. And here's a man, you know, as in you, David, as a man who works to embody this stuff, who's a, who's a, a true fighter and a, you know, a true, a true artist, martial artist and an artist of words as well. And so I've been excited to talk to you for this reason, to begin introducing men to this world of, of content that you've produced because I, I, I evaluate you, I judge you as a reliable guide through this world. And there are so few of them. Oh, well, I really appreciate that, man. And I got to say, 
I'm really happy we had this conversation and uh, we've learned a lot about each other in the process and I'm sure those listening uh, also and um, it's uh, it's just so good to find men out there. We need to resurrect men again, the, yes. good, the best of it and uh, I've, I'm just honored to have been on your show and been able to share these ideas and um, I really appreciate it and I definitely have a feeling this won't be the last time we get to talk about these things. I think that was a lot of fun. I have a similar feeling. I have a similar feeling. So where can men go to find out? Where can't men go to find out you and what you do? Because you've listed so many platforms. But where would you like to send men to find out more about you and what you do? Uh, but I got basically two websites uh, that to, that'll kind of orientate them to all my podcasting and my my social media and all that. Is the best place to find everything about me is dwtruthwarrior.com. Um, my lovely wife has done a fantastic job of building that website and, and just kind of organizing my content and, mm-hmm. and showing where you can follow me. I'm on Telegram. Go hit me up there. That's my favorite one right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other website where I do premium content, it's exclusive. It's, uh, it's with my colleague, Michael Tessarian. He's a, he's a treasure of a mind. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's over at unslaved.com. And we discuss all kinds of subjects related to what we talked about here today and more. Um, and so, yeah, those are probably the best two spots to catch up on what I'm doing. And we didn't even get into the, the fact that you're married and you're a father too, which is like, we didn't even <laughs> touch it. on that, which is incredible. That's given me a lot of perspective also. I got two young daughters, so I've mm-hmm. got a big stake in this world. I know I'm in for a world of, uh, emotional roller coasters with these two. Um, <laughs> I, now that I have a father, I have an extra papa bear protective instinct. Mm-hmm. I've been teaching them jujitsu, you know, and trying to empower them. And uh, I love it. I, I thoroughly enjoy it. it. It builds another dimension to who I am. And so I'm honored to do what I do. I do it to serve my family. I do this work to uh, serve the people that listen to me and support me and try to do the best thing I can to make a dent in this crazy messed up world, you know? Well, you know, as funny as, as, you know, we were talking about exchanging, uh, t- you know, people to follow on Twitter and I was trying to figure out what am I going to start David off with? And now knowing that you're a father of two young daughters, one of the most exciting aspects of the Renaissance of men to me is the revival of, of, uh, as my, my good friend Tanner Guzzi says, aspirational fatherhood, this idea of, of really exploring what it means to be a, a high integrity, authentic father and to find value and joy in it and, and, and to celebrate it. Whereas so much of society for the past several decades has sort of, uh, you know, thrown rocks at fatherhood in the, in the Homer Simpson or Ray Romano image and something like that. It's like, no, fatherhood is glorious right. is what I say. And, and so now Absolutely. I know exactly where to send you. That'll be a good guide for you to begin your journey through this world of uh, male personal development. Oh yeah, please. Yeah. Let's share some references. I'm sure we could exchange a lot and um, yeah, that, this is just great. And I love that I can kind of jump into this community because um, I, I need it. I, I'm, I just, I need it myself. So it's nice to run into people like you and I'm sure many of the people that listen to your show. So, uh, let's, let's hook up and do some man stuff. (laughs) Let's, let's do it, man. It was great talking (laughs) with you. I love that idea. We'll, we'll spar or something like that. (laughs) Sounds good. Sounds good. All right. Thanks, David. I really appreciate it. Thanks, man.
Thanks for listening to this episode of the Renaissance of Men podcast. Visit us on the web at renofmen.com or on your favorite social media platform at Ren of Men. This is the Renaissance of Men. You are the Renaissance.